Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit for plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. What's up, everybody? This is Scott Yeager here with another edition of Challenge Mania. This is a special bonus podcast of Challenge Mania, and I'm going to let you know why in just a second. But this episode is brought to you by our next two live shows. That's right. It's coming up in a week and a half. Challenge Mania Live Denver at the Denver Improv on Saturday, June the 8th. Got to get tickets at challengemania.live. If you do get the VIP meet and greet tickets, of course, you get the pre-show meet and greet with myself, Derek, Kellyanne, and Nehemiah. You also get an invite to the after party at a to-be-named location, and trust me, it is a good one. And then the next day, on Sunday morning, the 9th, you get to work out with D and our good friend Emily Schramm at Platform Strength. Info to come on the exact time. And after that is the Challenge Mania Brunch. You do not want to miss it all for the price of one VIP meet and greet ticket over at ChallengeMania.live. Then two weeks later, it's June 22nd. We are coming to the heart of Hollywood, California, the Hollywood Improv. You can get tickets at ChallengeMania.la to see our latest podcast guest, Alton Williams, on stage with Veronica Portillo, Sean Merriman, formerly of the San Diego Chargers, and also Champs versus Pros, myself and Derek. Eric, as always, for a pre-show meet and greet at 3 p.m. and the live show at 5 p.m. And who knows who's going to walk through that door in Hollywood, California. It's a reality hub. We're going to have a lot of surprise guests. But you didn't come for me. You came for D. although D is not going to be a part of this intro because this episode is three hours long. So we don't need the whole spiel. We don't need the whole preamble. We don't need the whole intro. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to our guest. I'm just going to set it up for you guys so you know what this is. Our guest in this podcast is Mr. Stephen Fishback. He's a two-time Survivor player. He's the runner-up of Survivor Token Chains. He's also the co-host of the Survivor Know-It-Alls podcast. Some of you guys know this. Lindsay and I are massive Survivor fans, and we're also massive Know-It-Alls fans. Uh, all the, the whole Rob Has a Podcast umbrella, we eat that up. We listen to almost every podcast they drop about Survivor in a week. He has rotating guests for a lot of them, but every Wednesday after the episode airs, sort of how we do the War Room, Rob and Steven do the Know-It-Alls. They also do live Know-It-Alls. Alls, just like we do Challenge Mania Live. And to be honest with you, I've learned a lot from what they do in Rob's whole podcast platform over there and the live know-it-alls and, and the, the uh, chemistry that him and Steven have. I absolutely adore it, as does Lindsay. So it is a thrill. You'll hear Steven claims it's a thrill. It's as much of a thrill for me to be talking to Steven as it is for him to be talking to Derek, because Steven is also a lifelong Challenge fan as well. So the synergy here is perfect. We have Steven on to talk about, of course, Edge of Extinction, the Survivor series finale that just happened in that shocking finish with Chris Underwood. We also have the finale of War of the Worlds that just ended almost in tandem with Survivor. It couldn't be more perfect. And also Game of Thrones, a series that's near and dear to my heart, Derek's heart, also Steven's heart because he does co-host a Game of Thrones review podcast with Rob Sister Nino as well. So we talk about all three of those things for almost three hours uh, and it's really exciting. It's a great chat. If you're a fan of Survivor, if you're a fan of The Challenge, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, if you're a fan of all of them, 
this podcast is for you. We do put the Game of Thrones stuff at the end of the podcast in case you either aren't caught up on that show or don't want spoilers or just don't watch it. You can tune out before that. Uh, up until that point, it's kind of a flowing conversation between Survivor and the challenge and the way they're related and the contrast between the two shows. Really fun, interesting conversation with someone who has more in common with Derek than almost anyone on the challenge because not only is he a two-time Survivor player, the way Derek is obviously still an active participant in challenge competition, he's a podcast host as well. One who appeared on his second season of Survivor with his podcast under his belt. So that hypothetical, you guys are always wondering, what would it be like for D to be on the show once Challenge Mania started a few years ago? We're going to get Steven's take on that. And it's something I've been really waiting to ask him. And it's a really fun episode. So as I mentioned, you know the info about the live shows. ChallengeMania.live will get you tickets to Denver on June the 8th. ChallengeMania.LA will get you tickets to the Hollywood show on June the 22nd. Unfortunately, that is 18 and over for that show. Some people have been asking that. ChallengeMania.Challenge to get all our gear. There's free shipping until June 14th over there. You do have to spend $45 to get it. Follow at Stephen Fishback on Twitter. Let them know you heard him on Challenge Mania, folks. And obviously, they're in the offseason now, but come the next season of Survivor, and even if you want to go back from this past season, check out Survivor Know-It-Alls. It's on Wednesday nights. It goes up late night after the uh, the episode is over, and you can always listen to it the next day or the next week or whatever and stuff like that. And check out the whole Rob Has a Podcast network. They have tons of great shows. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention they also have a great challenge podcast over there. They cover Big Brother, The Amazing Race, a bunch of good stuff. Um, they're doing some fantastic work. A lot uh, we have learned from them. So without further ado, guys, uh, this is a really good one. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mr. Stephen Fishback. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest on Challenge Mania today, or as I want to call it, the Challenge No It Owls is someone I have a lot in common with. He went to Yale. I grew up in Connecticut. I co-host a podcast. He co-hosts a podcast. He's one half of the Survivor Know-It-Alls with Rob Cisternino, with whom he also co-hosts a Game of Thrones podcast. He's a two-time Survivor player, placing second on Token Chains and ninth on Second Chances. On top of all that, he's a massive challenge maniac, Mr. Stephen Fishback. How are you, brother? Oh, my God. I, I am actually geeking out. I really cannot believe I'm talking to you guys. Um... Derek, I'm I'm really such a huge fan, uh, and you were part of what got me so into this show, and I I'm honestly just overwhelmed to be to be here with you. Thank you guys for having me. No way. Well, uh, it's 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 really nice to meet you, and thanks so much for coming on. I'm definitely interested in hearing, uh, you know, your journey through this reality TV wheel, circle, circus, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear how how this all panned out for you, and uh. Thanks for being here, man. Yes, and and Scott, I, I love what you've done. It's so cool that you've been able to foster this, you know, incredible community around the challenge. Yeah, what's awesome is that I actually, you know, in, indirectly have modeled a lot of what we we do over here off of what Rob and you guys do over there. And you know, I you know got introduced to your guys's podcast network and your guys's show through some other Survivor super fans, and my wife is a a big fan of you guys as well. And you know, when we you know sort of simultaneously last year we're starting Challenge Man. You know, there were little things I noticed about, you know, oh, Rob has a Patreon. Okay. Oh, they're doing live know-it-alls. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> and, you know, kind of took a little bit from that and, you know, attended one of your guys' live know-it-alls about a year ago. And I was like, we had done about three Challenge Mania lives at that point, And I was just like blown away by the professionalism. It was at, it was at SVA here in New York, which is a big room. Like this is a room they premiere movies at from Tribeca Film Festival. And you guys had it sold out. You had like more guests than I've ever seen because Survivor is one of those shows 
shows where, you know, it's not like the challenge where people come back recurringly. A lot of people do the, you know, Survivor once and then they're done and, you know, they go back to their, their day jobs and their regular life. So when Rob's like, hey, we're going to do SVA theater, you guys probably get calls by about like, you know, 20 alumni who want to be on the show. And you guys just managed to weave <laughs> each and every guest in and out of that show. And it was just a well-oiled machine. There were not any kinks whatsoever. You had your, uh, you know, your super fans coming up and you, Rob and you even knew most of them by name. You'd be like, oh, look, it's Will with another question. I was just like, well, you know what? That is the standard. So, um, wow. I know you grew up watching, you know, Derek on the challenge. Uh, but you know, when it comes to this podcast thing that we're doing, Derek and I are novices compared to, to you guys. So we appreciate everything you guys do and the trails you have blazed for us in this realm. Well, that's all Rob. I mean, honestly, he's, he's such a pro. My, my co-host Rob is really is meticulous about, about setting it up and is constantly trying to push the, the format for the podcast and definitely the format for the live shows forward. Because as, as I'm sure you guys know very well, it's really fun, but really chaotic. I just show up. Like I just show up. He's handled everything. I swan in like I'm a celebrity. I mean, you know, not like I'm in any way a celebrity, but I just swan in with like no responsibilities, you know, and, uh, he, he's done all the work for me. Um, I don't know how it happened, but after we attended that show, um, I found out that you were a challenge fan, which if I had known, I totally would have like, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, you kind of roll in like a celebrity at those know-it-alls, you are a celebrity and you have an, an audience full of people who want to take photos with you. So me, I'm just going to kind of let you do your thing. I don't want to bother you. Had I known that you were a challenge maniac, for lack of a better term, I would have introduced myself and done the whole thing. So we got to know each other like two weeks after that. Um, and I, I forget how I heard that you were a challenge fan. Maybe you mentioned it on a podcast or somebody told me, and I very rarely kick off interviews with a question, but I, this one is, is perfect for this because Shimbo wrote in and he said, Steven is more of an intellectual. Not that typical challenge maniacs aren't, but MTV doesn't seem like his go-to TV station. How did he become a challenge fan? What was his first season he watched? And uh, talk about that because I kind of agree, and not to judge you, Steven, but you are an intellectual. <laughs> you host another podcast, but you interview authors. So like- Paraphrase, paraphrase, yeah, paraphrase podcast. Paraphrase. Exactly. Yeah. The paraphrase podcast where you interview authors, no offense to our listeners out there, but like there's not a lot of crossover there between like people who are interested in CT and, you know, Dostoevsky or whatever his name is, you know, so I just he hasn't been on the podcast. Yet, he has not. OK, well, one that. day you'll get him. Uh, if we can get you, you can get him um, just a little bit more crime and punishment. and You'll get him. Yeah. But so so talk about that, because I, I I kind of agree with him. What got you into it? So, I mean, obviously, I watched the chat. I mean, like like any red, red blooded, you know, teenager, I watched the challenge back in the day, like when when I was growing up. Um, and, but like those to me, like that was, that, you know, that was like early days for the challenge. You know, everyone, everyone was just kind of like hanging out around a pool after I was on survivor, the woman who cast me actually said to me like, you know, survivors is all well and good, but you've got to check out the MTV challenge. It has this whole mythology behind it because, you know, the players are coming back season to season. It's just like the, the rivalries and the bonds and all of the interpersonal drama is so rich. So the first, season I actually watched was the first season of Rivals. And, you know, obviously so much of that is based on the history that I didn't know because I hadn't seen it, but it was such an incredible season um, that she, she, you know, that, that I was hooked. And I was actually watching with my then girlfriend, Courtney Yates, who uh, also is a, a Survivor uh, returning. She's played Survivor twice. And so our next season, my friend said, you know, you really like this current era of the challenge, you guys may disagree, but, but her introduction to me was starts at the show Fresh Meat. And 
And so we started, we went back, we watched Fresh Meat, and we were just obsessed. Uh, Derek, we, we absolutely loved you. We loved the rivalry between Kenny and Wes. Um, and you know, so many of those iconic players that seem to really emerge out of that season. So then we watched like basically every subsequent season. And it's, to me, it's, I just love it so much. Uh, I guess the question, the question of why, you know, for part of, part of the reason is that watching Survivor is a little bit stressful for me. And I don't know, Derek, if you have a similar experience watching the seasons of the challenge that you're not on, but you know, A, I have to, I know that I have to blog and podcast about it, but B, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm in it, you know, like I, I see those, the survivor challenges, I see the politicking and I'm, I'm like, I'm there with them. And it's, it's not, you know, I really love the show, but it's not always the most st- stress-free experience watching the show. When I, when I get to watch the challenge, it, I just, it's, it's so, you know, it's, it's similar. There are the politics of it. You know, there are the relationships and it's just cool to watch those challenges. You know, I mean, the challenges are so extreme and there's, there's just, there's like nothing that we could ever do on, on Survivor, you know, partially because we're just not physically made for anything like that. Um, and partially because, you know, we're deprived of food and sleep for a month. So, you know, we would like actually die at some of the things that you guys are put through. But I think, I do think some of the core elements are, are similar. You know, you have to have a lot of heart, you have to have a lot of drive and you have to have, you know, you have to be able to play the game a little bit. And I do think the game, I mean, I, you know, we can talk about the differences between survivor and the challenge. I do think the political and strategic game of survivor is probably, uh, more dynamic than, than it is on the challenge. I mean, never having been in the challenge, you know, maybe you, you know, you guys totally disagree with me. Um, but, but the, uh, the level of personal intrigue and, and history is just, I don't think there's any show that can match the challenge for that. Derek, do you agree with his assessment that that sort of generation began with Fresh Meat One, which of course you were on and, uh, DM was your partner there and that kind of ushered in the, the Kennys and the, and the Evans of the world? Do you think that's a fair assessment? I kind of agree with Steven there. Well, 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 first of all, I, the second he said the mythology, behind uh <laughs> behind the challenge kind of he kind of struck me right there because i was like ah now i like this guy now he knows <laughs> what he's talking about because it, it really does feel like that you know I, I i like to refer to uh to these people as comic book characters at times superheroes super villains um I, I think i say that way too much and even talking to talking to alton the other day and, and bringing it back and we kind of talked about the changing of the guard around that time like uh, around you know around the, the kenny johnny evan era per se but i think that the guard has it, people it, that the the eras and the generations have taken turns just like they are now you know at different times of uh, of the challenge you know what i mean you always have the one guy that's like kind of you know it, you know sort of needs to make a name for himself um and he kind of he kind of makes a name for himself by kind of getting beat up a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> and uh, you know whether whether that's physically emotionally um but then that then comes this like change of a guard i think we we saw that with this season with fresh meat the the reason why fresh meat was so iconic is because of, of dm you know it wasn't it wasn't so much the the, the kenny and the west it, it wasn't the Derek. it was dm dm sort of you know changed the 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 heart of what the challenge is all about. You know what I mean? Here we go. Here we are. This, you know, this beautiful girl inside and out is battling through cancer. She's not just doing a challenge. Like we don't like at that time, like we didn't know whether the girl, whether she was, you know, whether this was okay for her to do or not. We didn't know if like the challenge gods had put her in a position where this is okay. Or if she just said, 
F you challenge gods. I'm going to live. I'm going to live my life. And they let her do that. And then we watched, you know, in, in, in awe as she continued to, 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 to fight. You know what I mean? So where do we go from here? I know I didn't answer your question. I had to talk about mythology. Great. Honestly, that Tangie went on was, was perfect. And what you, what you guys have both said is to me, what's great about both shows now and obviously opposed its issues on finale night when you have the three hour survivor finale. What do you watch first? Oh no. You know, it's a two part <laughs> challenge finale. I know that they're not going to yeah. announce the winner tonight. Maybe I TiVo that. What I, what I got a live tweet. What do I do? Um, other than that all year, I enjoyed having survivor on at eight and the challenge on at nine and the shows are completely different breeds but there's a little bit of an overlap obviously the reality competition shows at the heart of them there are physical competitions as you mentioned Stephen. sometimes the degree of difficulty varies but then you add the starvation element the living in the in the woods element the uh you know the idols obviously both are completely different shows but at their main core structure wise the big difference is on every season of the challenge for the most part you're having at least half the cast be people that you know and love and have backstories and feuds etc this past season war of the worlds it's in, it's interesting you brought up the last sort of era starting with fresh meat a lot of people are saying this might be the start of a new era as well and it might have been you know begun with the fact that war of the worlds they called it that but it was another fresh meat half of the season were people we had never met before on the challenge um survivor I would say is about what, what would you say? I mean, you cover this more closely than I do, Stephen. What's the percentage of seasons that are 100% just newbies? And, you know, when I say newbies, occasionally, yes, they'll have like a celebrity or someone who's like a, a brother or a sister of a former cast member. But for the most part, 100% new season. Then there's obviously the 100% returnee season. Rumors are we'll have one of those for Survivor 40. And then you get Edge of Extinction, this weird hybrid where they brought in four returning players. What, what's the breakdown there? Would you say percentage wise? Well, and how yeah, about the, and how, sorry, and how about the, they, they, you know, this, talking about similarities and then they go, re, we have Redemption House on the challenge for two challenges in a row. And then I, I walk right on over to Survivor and we have an edge of extinction, which is essentially in a Redemption House, right, Scott? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So the, yeah, well, the parallels I thought that was are endless. Interesting too, was like, you know, Survivor fan, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious how the challenge fans reacted to the Redemption House. Like my, my experience of it was like, I thought it was a cool twist for the challenge. Um, for, but for all of those twists on Survivor, whether it was Edge of Extinction or we had a Redemption Island a couple years ago, um, mm. people hated Mm. Those survivor fans hated those. And I think part of it is because there's this iconic moment on survivor of like snuffing the torch. It's just this culturally iconic moment that everyone knows, you know, and it's, it's like entered the zeitgeist and people might not even, you know, people who might not even like watch survivor know, you know, the tribe has spoken torch snuff, you're gone. And I, I mean, I, and maybe it's because the challenge is a little bit more leeway with the format and every, every season, the format is a little bit different, but I, I got the sense that people didn't mind that. And it, it, to me, it was a really interesting, uh, uh, distinction how you know survivor fans just just loathe anything that um anything that challenges the format whereas whereas with the challenge it's a little more accepted but yeah and and to to your point scott it's probably about 70 percent all new players and then you know i think maybe you know 20 percent all returnees and then you know 10 percent uh uh hybrid season so it is so much more um new so so many more new players and i actually for a while i i soured a little bit on the challenge just for a season or two in the late 20s and part of that was because i felt like the old guard was so dominant that there there was never any question of who was going to run the game and i mean maybe part of that also was they they brought in a lot of the RU the one kids and it seemed like it became more about like screaming than it did about actual challenges and there was a well the RU well, the, the one kids couldn't get it done 
That's yeah. that, that, that's the thing. You know, when you you have this di- and they didn't know. And I, I think that the challenge gods didn't really know how to manage the changing of the guard. But even though they wanted to, yeah. it was like I I think that they wanted the Johnny Bananas era to end somehow. They wanted it to. You know, to to sort of, and, and that happened here in the final. Round. They figured it out because they decided. You know, are you the one? We make the joke like they they weren't the ones. Um, <laughs> they, they at first they thought, oh, maybe we can seamlessly just take from this other reality show property we created in tandem in tandem with getting rid of the real world. But the problem was that show was being cast solely for dating purposes, and occasionally you do have like an right. athletic person on it, like a Hunter and a and a Devin. I mean, a Hunter and a Nelson, or you do have like a great you know mind like Devin on the show for sure but now what they've decided to do is we're going to cast a wide net where we're going to get a Theo who was on a dating show but also came like two trials away from making the Olympic sprinting team you know we're going to get Turbo from Survivor Turkey who also did the voice and Turkey's got talent and has this great dynamic personality and also knows how to tape people down to a chair on an airplane you know so they now realize they're like okay we're not going to be able to be simultaneously Simultaneously only casting for a dating show and then plucking from that to create the next feeder system for the challenge. And the minute they did that, they started doing it a few seasons ago, bringing people in from the UK with the Kyles and the Josses and the Rogans and the Kayleys. And now for War of the Worlds, they went full out and cast this extremely wide net, pulling people from Turkey, Australia, etc. And that was the magic sauce. That's where we had a final where there were more rookies than there were veterans. And, you know, you had your Wes's and you had your Cara's in there as well. But these people came in ready to play and able to execute too. Whereas like, you know, the are you the one people kind of came in, run around like chickens with their head cut off and a couple of them placed third and second by accident. But for the most part, I mean, now we can look at it and it's like, how many of these people are going to kind of fall through the cracks now that the, the casting pool is so much larger. The other thing about the are you the one kids and you know, maybe you're, this is, you know, you guys probably have a better perspective on this than I do, but it seemed like they were more interested. Like they knew how to like, they're, they were looking for camera time a lot. And, 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 you know, you can always tell the people who are like there to compete and like there are and people who are there to get camera time. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm, you know, I always gravitate more towards the ones who are there to like really go out and play. And obviously there's, there's hybrids like Johnny is incredible at both competition, competing and, you know, generating great, hilarious camera moments. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I felt like they were there more to to generate uh, drama and obviously like a couple of those guys have really been you know incredible additions to the franchise like like Devin like Nelson um and and it's it's super fun to watch but you know you were saying you guys were saying on your interview with Alden like that the, it goes in cycles between like the bros and the athletes and now they're more tending towards the athletes and it does seem to have the corrective effect that they were they were looking for yeah I I mean I think I just I think it needs to be both I think it I think it's fair to say that like Every reality TV character that graces our television screens has got to have this like dynamic personality that, you know, essentially, you know, it doesn't, they don't even have to do both, but they have to have this, like you get the two time survivor winner. Okay. And he is, you know, his English is not that great yet. He's got some of the funniest commentary all season long. How can you forget Turbo? The guy is, you know, one of the sweetest guys we've seen on television in the longest time. Yet, you know, he's got these, um, he, you know, he's got these, uh, videos where he's roundhouse kicking a guy and, 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 and then doing some kind of like touchdown dance where he's like shoveling him in a coffin. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's also doing milk commercials, you know, the best and of he's both doing worlds. milk commercials with kids, with children. Like this is a dynamic, positive character 
that can kind of do both. You know, but how do you see him as a bad guy, though? You know, like you can't you're not going to get him as a bad guy. You know, does every let me ask this. Does every reality TV character have to have a good guy and a bad guy in him? Well, it's interesting to me. Like, I think that, you know, I've, I've been able to track that with Survivor more. And I don't know if you guys, you know, maybe you've, you've seen that as well, but where it, it seemed like there was a brief period in, in our kind of. The, the the bad part of Survivor, which also happened to be in in its twenties, where it, they really were trying to cast like these sort of big antic wild characters to be villains, and then you know these maybe more mainstream people to be heroes, and not I mean the the heroes versus villains season was fantastic. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But now it seems like they're really just trying to cast people who have you know who are really compelling television and who have like great personal stories, and that you know and and like you're saying, Derek, like they're they're heroes and their villains like they have it all inside of them and yeah they're ultimately the only real test of whether they're a great character is are they dynamic television can they tell a great story are they enjoyable to watch yeah what's interesting about turbo is that he's this two-time survivor turkey winner but like i've never seen survivor turkey but you know it's not like they just went to go find like a two-time survivor winner because like we all know sandra probably couldn't win war of the worlds but like they found this guy who is just like a physical specimen and as you mentioned with the you know with the wheelhouse kicks and all this stuff i mean this guy is a different breed of human being but also has maybe in broken english but has the commentary to back it up we just watched a survivor season where rick devins essentially was like you know, got, I don't know what the equation was, but you know, drastically more screen time than everyone else. And part yeah. of that was also due to the fact that he went really far in the game, but the guy was also a soundbite machine. And you know, when you have people who can do it on the field, but also narrate the show, that's the perfect combination. And this season of War of the Worlds between Georgia and Bear and Devon, and I know she had did a season before, but, um, and also Turbo, it's like, you got people who are doing it, executing on the field, playing really well. Maddie's another one who were also able to describe it in hilarious fashion and they were all their own characters they all spoke eloquently and funny you know it's so that is the secret sauce you know it's not even necessarily the camera time and the drama because like sure you get into an argument that's great but when they cut to you explaining the drama you know that's yeah. where you have to be funny that's where you have to emote and this season had the perfect blend of that and you know with Survivor you know some seasons have I thought David versus Goliath had a great blend of that I think this one was mainly carried by your Rick Devins and and maybe your Ron, you know, was another one who I think was really good at that. But, you know, this season of Survivor, as you mentioned, very polarizing with the format. People on the Survivor end get very, you know, annoyed by the format. With the challenge, I think we're just used to it. The challenge has been reinventing its format so often that we kind of have become numb to it. But I think we're just like a little bit complacent because I do think what's great about Survivor is, and, and you guys talk about the the episodes right after they happen. And then Rob has, I think, 16 other podcasts this week, that week <laughs> where he's breaking it down in different ways but you guys can kind of discuss this stuff really like verbatim as far as like you know well this season had this many idols versus this season didn't this person went out ninth this person went out eighth whereas it's harder to do that on the challenge like we we host a podcast we like to try to make this as much as close to the sports center of of the challenge as possible but what's hard to do it is that like the first 10 or so seasons people won in groups of eight and then after that there was like a couple where you won in a team and then after that there was a couple where you know there was you know individual people and then there 
there were some with redemption houses and then there were some where you got to pick your opponent and you know and so there's such a variety that you really can't hone in on the stats as well as you can on survivor so i think that's why people on survivor hold it so near and dear to their heart because to me that's one of the best parts about survivor it's as close to a sport from an, an analysis point of view as a reality show can get really yeah, I think that's a great comparison. And I think that's how they view it, too. I mean, they being, you know, the team that creates Survivor is that it is sort of a sport. I'm sure that's how you guys view the challenge as well. But, but you know, it, it just the idea that it is sort of the same essential format. And as a result, you're right, like that allows for a little bit more uh, infinite variations. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that, like, you know, strategy on Survivor maybe develops a little bit more is because the format is so unchanging. You know, people see someone do something in one season. They're like, oh, that worked out well or that didn't work out. Well, I'm going to try something different or I'm going to try that, but I'm going to do it with a twist whereas with the challenge if the if the the rules of the game change every season and then of course you know within the season itself there's giant twists you know how can you really plot an effective strategy from beginning to end well there's there's a lot of luck there's a lot of luck involved i feel like but at the same time i feel like there's a lot of luck involved in in survivor too like you know you can't just you can't just plan for everything. You can't like plan to win this game. You can't plan this person not to backstab. You can't plan that your plan's gonna work every yeah. time. This the, this guy Devin's he got lucky. He got lucky multiple times. No, am I wrong? I like they got the, the people that went to the uh, uh, the edge of extinction. They got lucky, right? Well, he was the first, he was the first one to go to Edge of Extinction and he got to come back in the game by winning a challenge. He, I think was maybe fourth or fifth out. He won the first, uh, return back onto the island and then he ends up getting ousted by the second guy who got to return with only six players left. So a little bit of good and bad luck for him. You know, it's almost like, yeah. you know, the, the, the luck that got him there was also the luck that ended, ended up being, you know, his Achilles heel in a weird way. So it's, it's funny that you say that because, you know, it's lucky that there was the format there because normally he would have just been fourth guy out on the season and he probably would have been an afterthought but then also it's unlucky because they brought someone in later in the game gave him the same advantage of that extra idol which we can we can talk about this season in detail because i know you have thoughts on it steven i certainly do but yes the luck aspect of it from we call them on our show challenge gods we don't use the p word that rhymes with <laughs> producers um, yeah. and then you know uh, it's, it's sometimes confusing because sometimes people refer to the survivor gods or the challenge gods. You might think you're talking about like happenstance or weather or like, you know, the random what happens that you can't control. We actually use it to refer to the people who do actually control everything. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so w w with us, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, when it's luck – on Survivor with the Survivor Gods, a guy like Devins, a guy like Ben Drebergen, these guys, quote unquote, you know, they, they, they make their own luck, but it's also someone deciding, eh, you know what, we should put another idol out there even though we're at the final six, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, it's one of those things where are you giving credit to the person who finds the idol, don't hate the player, hate the game, or is it sort of an over-facilitation of this stuff when it comes to twists and making sure that, you know, the certain type of person you want to win or do well on these shows wins or does well on these shows. People have conspiracy theories on the challenge about whether certain types of players, you know, not get advantages in the game per se, but whether they try to hook them up with, uh, you know, allies. You know, maybe if Johnny's on the season, maybe we let Leroy be on the season, stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's very interesting whether it's luck or whether it's, you know, challenge gaudy luck. 
Yeah, on, on Survivor, we say it's Jeff. Jeff Probst places every single idol on every beach. You know, he's out there day in and day out, just hiding idols and, and slipping things into people's uh, backpacks rather than the rather than the Survivor gods. But uh, it's, it, I mean, I do think it's a little bit. I mean, I think it's like it is this mix of hard work and luck and skill. And you know, you're right there. It's it a mix. It is yeah. a mix. Yes. Like you, you have to like you know, in terms of like Devin's looking for an idol. Um, it's it's you know, some of that is he gets really lucky and like finds the right tree and some of that is he's out there looking at all the trees and so he's yep. putting in the legwork you know and I, i've certainly been out there looking for idols uh sometimes you know i guess never finding them um and, and you know i just like when you're when you're on survivor and like every single tree looks like it could be interesting or not interesting you know you see a clump of three trees together like is that a unique feature of the landscape that i should be paying attention to or is that something i should just be dismissing out of hand you have no way of knowing until after the fact so you know there's there you go out there you put in the hard work but it's like the, the person who stumbles on the right like clump of trees is the one the one to get it i mean in terms of like the whether like or not the the producers are fudging the rules like i really do not think they do that on survivor i mean i i don't know about other shows i'm sure there are other shows where they do that but i think that in ter- like i think that you know a lot of people complained a couple of seasons ago where this guy ben um was about to be eliminated and oh my god there's now a fire making challenge and like ben is saved and it seemed a little bit magical that like the one guy Guy who was, you know, probably their favorite out there. He was this like hardworking military vet, you know, had, had been this really dominant figure in the season. Like, you know, and you can see them not wanting him to go out just short of the of the finale. And so a lot of people felt like maybe this was. Uh, a producer created twist that just just meant to save him. I mean, I, my perspective is like they create these twists. Maybe they're meant to save people like Ben. You know, they're meant to like save the Bens of the world. But it wasn't necessarily just to specifically save this one guy, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think they can. They can. As as much as some, uh, you know, some of the cast may say can't say the conspiracies that come out. It could have been like this. It could have been like that. I don't think that they. You know, that the gods you know, can pinpoint exactly how they want it to happen because for crying out loud, someone else could have found that idol. You yeah. know what I mean? Or for, or, or, or someone else could have won that stupid game that nobody practices, you know? Um, but I do think that one thing that these shows have to have in common is like the shock value, right? Like if we throw another idol out there, if we throw another twist out there, something shocking could come out of this and, you know, People are going to be in awe, you know? So yeah. I think that that's kind of like the, the, the reoccurring, I think, goal to all these shows now is like shock value, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't this know where se- I'm this season of Survivor Edge of Extinction played out. It's funny because as a viewer, and this I guess is, you know, masterful editing or misdirection, whatever you want to call it. As a viewer, I'm sitting here watching it subconsciously thinking, what a botch of a, uh, a format. This Extinction Island is not going to play out at all. Uh, whoever comes back into the game is going to have little to no effect on the end of the game. As we're getting towards the end and Devons is dominating, I'm just like, Devons is going to win. If not get Devons, it's going to be Gavin. Who cares? Whatever. And then no, exactly what you said when it comes to shock value, the format played out exactly how if you contrived this format on a whiteboard, you would write this. And you might have written yeah. Joe Anglum and and not you'd gotten Joe, but you got the next best thing in Chris, who, you know, who got in at the final six made the most with the final three, four days, whatever he had, had one person make a dumb move in Lauren, 
And then after that, and you know, had the added idol that got him down to that final four yeah. uh, fire challenge. But what you mentioned, Stephen, about the final four fire challenge being added to maybe save a player like Ben, which you know, now a few seasons later, I think we've had a Ben as a winner, a Wendell as a winner, and I think looking back on it, you're like, man, wouldn't a Chrissy have been good? You know, but yeah. but regardless. After that twist got instilled, people started thinking, man, you know what that person needs to do who's maybe on the cusp of winning or maybe there's an obvious winner here? You need to just like go and beat them. And that's the only way you're going to overcome that favorite at that point. So this is finally that twist playing out in all its glory from that shock value. So you have the shock value of the Edge of Extinction winner winning in Chris. And you also have the shock value playing out finally, I think, four seasons into this fire-making twist of somebody saying, I don't want the immunity. I want the glory of taking out someone in the fire-making twist. So I listened to your podcast. I know how you felt about it. You were as invigorated by it at the moment as I was. I was going into this finale thinking it was going to be a stinker, and it was like the Super Bowl. So as much as we can talk about how the format may not be the the classic survivor format having written this season off i was so surprised that it had the excitement and had the shock value that it had so i know that's how you felt in the moment has your perspective changed at all since then steven i totally agree with you scott i mean i think that you know i i didn't i didn't love this twist for the franchise i don't love the idea that someone can spend the entirety of the season basically building bonds with the jury then come back and you know shockingly win a jury vote after having spent a month literally you know feeding and hanging out with those people so i really i mean let me like get that out of the way first like i really dislike the twist as an idea i don't like it for the franchise and i don't like it that it seems to really um favor one type of survivor player it's like the type of person who can win an obstacle course you get, you know, just a tremendous advantage over every type of other survivor player. Um, but that said, like, you know, we all were kind of tuned out at the end of the season. It just seemed like Devins was going to power his way to the end. It didn't really seem like he had a lot of competition. And then, yes, this finale, while it had this insanely, uh, you know, transgressive moment of someone coming back into the game after having barely played the game and then winning was just so fun to watch. Like it was just like wild to watch it actually play out partially because it was happening, partially because it was such an incredible, you know, undoing of the central format, but also because of the way this guy played. And I actually think you know, seeing someone, this guy, this specific guy, uh, Chris, Chris come back and win was more fun than watching Joe. You know, it happened to Joe. You know, a lot of people felt like this twist was there for Joe, right? He is this incredible challenge competitor. He's played twice before, you know, here he was on his, on his third season. He's voted out relatively early. And I actually think it would have kind of been like, you know, like it felt like too much of a, a layup for that guy to win with all of his experience, with all of his known abilities to just like win and then sort of like swan song, you know, swan into, into the end. But for this other guy, this, this guy who comes out, you know, has all these high expectations for his first season on Survivor, for his new Survivor experience to have those immediately dashed. And then for him to return to the game, you know, just like bl- in, a, in like a blaze of glory, doing everything right was, was really a compelling story. Now it's, it's a story that I never want to see happen again for this show but as it was happening i was just transfixing why and it definitely felt like a like a team that came back from like being down 20 and they make this miraculous this, this miraculous comeback and then at the last second he literally makes like the three point shot to win the game. It would be like if the player who made that three point shot to win the game didn't have to play quarters two and three and got to sit in the medical room with ice on his leg kind of thing. Yes. You know, well, I mean, is it that bad though? Because 
I mean, I think the same reason why Steven doesn't want to see this story play out again is because he saw somebody get eliminated, went and schmoozed the people that were going to be voting for him, and then made the game-winning shot, put himself in the finals, and then they all voted him the champion. Yeah. Well, the vote, I think the vote is, and that's another thing that's a major difference between Survivor and the challenge, but that Survivor has in common with Big Brother and is what makes it this other additional social experiment is that ultimately you can do as well as you could do in the game. You can make the final two like you did, Steven. You can make the final three like you have to make now. Regardless, other people have your fate in their hands when it comes to these votes. Normally, those votes are made by people who made it really far in the game and subconsciously respect that story and they they did the same thing that you did in this season. I don't know why they did it this way. I get why they had to have everybody in the jury hypothetically, because all these people could have gotten back in the game. It would have put them in a jury place. I think Steven, I don't know if you agree with this. Once they decided who was the person who got back in, I think the reams of the world and everybody who was first three out, they should have been cut out of the jury. I think it should have been a standard jury amount because what you did was you put all these people in the game who never played with Devons, who never played with, or never played with Gavin, never played with Julie and never went through that experience. They went through the experience that Chris had. And ultimately it's coming down to a decision. Now, look, sitting at home to me, the fact that he grabbed the bull by the horns and he went and did the fire making challenge. I'm not as mad at it as I would have been if he didn't do that and still got, you know, chosen as the winner over a Gavin or over a Devons or something like that. Something that's missing from these reunion shows now, Steven, and I don't know if you agree with this or not. It's all a bunch of kind of fluff of like, you know, talking about the emotions of the game and the great stories. I want to hear the hypotheticals. I want everyone in the jury to raise their hand and let us know if they would have voted for Chris unconditionally and they decided that on Extinction Island or if he won their vote with that move. Because if I hear that they it had nothing to do with that move and they just decided, hey, because it could have been me, I was going to vote for whoever came off Extinction Island, then I cry super foul on this one. Although they, they might not be honest in that situation, right? There, there's a, there's a high likelihood that they're going to be like, yeah, of course he had to earn it from us, you know, where, where uh, whether or not that's true. Although I agree with you. I do always, always like it when it's like, what if this had happened? Like who would have voted for whom? I, I love that he moment. He used to in the do reunion. that all the time. Yeah. He used to say, what would have happened if, uh, Keith Nail made the final? Who would have voted for Keith? And everybody <laughs> yeah. raises their hand. He doesn't oh, do man. that anymore. Now it's all about like just telling people what kind of character they were, not even letting them talk and then moving on. But the moment for me that did it actually was like, that moment was so cool, but it was when when the other competitors gave him a buy, you know, my feeling was the fact that, you know, one of the one of the players played an idol for him. The fact that they didn't vote him out when they had the opportunity to vote him out. He was you know, he was vulnerable once and they missed their shot. And to me, that's, you know, at that point, like you you almost deserve to lose to him. You know, you, you had the opportunity to take him out. You didn't do it. So so then, you know, for, forget it. I mean, is it possible that those players had the opposite mentality? Whereas the people who were on Extinction Island are like, man, this is the game here. This is, man, we're roughing it out here. We got to climb a mountain to get rice. Man, yeah. whoever makes it off this, if they make final three, they deserve to win. And for the Laurens and the Victorias of the world, they're out there and they're like, whoever comes back from Extinction has no shot of winning this, right? Like they barely played the game. They will have played for six days. So even if they make final three, they have no shot, right? You know, you know what I mean? So maybe that was there as well. Maybe Lauren sees Chris 
more as an asset here. And maybe if I let him last one more vote, maybe he'll be a vote for me if he makes the jury and loses on the next one. You know, nobody knows about that weird half idol thing. The only people who knew about it were Devins, who ironically got half of it this time again, and David Wright, which, I mean, that I think was the one thing that I, you know, I think they really, that was a misstep in giving him that. And that is the one thing where you look at it and you're like, is, did they do it for the symmetry sake? And like both people get the, they get back on the island, they get that half idol, or did they say, man, this really gets them into that final four? If we well, I think you're right, Scott. Like they want the they want the format to work. You know, they want it to be meaningful, and it is. It's like kind of a dud. If to your point, like someone comes back and they're immediately gone. So I'm sure from their perspective, you know, from from the Survivor God's perspective, they want it to be. You know, whoever, whoever comes back in the game, they want that person to have a fighting chance. And I think you're probably also right that all the other competitors who are left probably thought like this guy's done nothing. You know, all people talk about these days is Survivor resume and your Survivor story, and this guy's Survivor story. Like what, he's he's been chilling on an island for for a month. So they probably thought that he didn't have a chance. I mean, that's that they were just wrong, you know, and like, again, like they were that I don't have a problem with someone losing because they made a bad decision based on a wrong judgment. You know, that's that's like their own fault for for that failure. Um, but but I, I do think, you know, to your your point, Derek, like he just had so many advantages. You know, it wasn't just the fact that he came back, you know, he was, you know, counted out, but it was just the, the fact that he got to hang out with the jury. You know, I, I tweeted at the time that the the signature challenge of Survivor, what like what makes Survivor Survivor is this this difficulty of you have to vote people out of the game who are then going to come back and supposedly vote for you to win. And like, how the heck do you betray someone in such a way that they're going to want to award you a million dollars for it? And this guy, Chris, like he didn't have to do that at all. Um, and he just, you know, he, like, like you're saying, Scott, uh, Scott, he had so much more information about everything. You know, he had this like superpower that nobody knew about. He just came in with so many advantages that it, it didn't seem fair. Something also that nobody really touched on after the fact, and it was never clarified whether this was something that, um, that Kelly Wentworth had actually said or whether he was kind of playing it up and repurposing it as a strategic move. But that, that line he had where he told Lauren, Hey, this message is from Kelly from the other side. She says, you got to make a big move. You got to make a play. Even even if it's not for yourself, you got to play that idol. You got to make a move for the jury. And I think that really got in her head. And I think yeah. that she felt safe and felt like she had to make a move. And although she was safe in that one, she wasn't safe in the next one. And she should have held on to it. But I think she wanted to please, not just please Kelly, but looked up to her and looked up to her kind of strategic and had sat on that idol all season. I mean, watching her and, and you know, misplay that idol and Kelly get eliminated with the idol and Aubrey get eliminated with the idol. Aubrey was the one one where they really successfully blindside her, but watching someone on Survivor get voted off with an idol in their pocket to me is like gives me the most anxiety out of <laughs> anything watching television could possibly do. You know, like I could watch a wrestling match like on this past Saturday where somebody's busted open, they're bleeding the entire time. I'm more comfortable watching that than I am watching someone I know have an idol where Jeff goes, if anybody has an idol, this is the time to play it. And they have that perfect music, the mood music that they kind of that like kind of comes up no matter what they play it the same way and you have that same suspense whether they're about to play it or not and when that moment goes and they just look to the side and it's clear they're not going to play it my heart stops I'm like I'm so mad at my TV I'm mad at 
them. I'm mad at myself for watching the show. It's like the worst <laughs> thing that, that anything could possibly make me feel on TV. So, so there was that too. So in, in a weird way, it's like, you know, all the advantages that other people got in this game were severely mishandled. He's the one who, you know, played all of them correctly down the stretch. Um, I want to ask you a question, Stephen, because it, it, it's great having you on the show. People are always hypothetically asking us since, since we've started Challenge Mania, we started right after Dirty 30 was finished airing. That was the last full season Derek played on. Uh, he came in second place. He had also already filmed his stint on Vendettas where he came oh in. God. He had a mercenary role. He took on Joss. I don't know if you've ever oh. heard of it. It was, you know, oh, it, was, yeah. it was like a five, two, ten two minute battle. Moments, by the way. You, you, I was actually just texting when I, when I was knew that you were going to be on this, Derek. I texted, uh, Courtney Yates and I, I said, like, oh, you'll never believe who I'm podcasting with. And she was, she was like, oh my God, he's the greatest challenge competitor uh, of all time. And she referenced you on top of that, like, little spindle thing against Johnny as, you know, just this, inc- like, one of the, the iconic moments of the show. And then, of course, you against Joss was another one where you just, I mean, it was two incredible, incredible moments. Anyway, not enough, enough. Thank uh, you. Yeah. No, no, everyone forgets about the, the, the Derek versus Johnny defeat. It's just, it's just, it's in, in, out, in one year, out the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was crazy because like it seemed like that wasn't even how the thing was designed, right? Yeah, you were supposed to like run over it, run around it, and you were just up, up on top doing like that. It was it was uncanny. It was I thought you were toast like going into it and then watching it. It was such a thrilling moment. That's when the six. That's when the six time champion. Now I don't know what happened to him. I think, <laughs> I, think I think I did. I think I. Uh, I think that was the end of him. I think that was the end of the Johnny Bananas, Scott. Yeah. I think that was it. And then know, later on, he loses in the light bright. And later on, he loses in the map quest. And he was never the, the same. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm I was going to say is, unlike yeah. you, Stephen, who you came in second place and you got called back, you know, fair, not not right after, but you did get called back. Uh, Derek came in second place and has yet to appear on a full challenge since. A lot of people wonder whether the podcast has something to do with it. Everyone also wants to know what the dynamic would be like of him hosting a popular challenge podcast where he's you know, interviewing the people he'd be playing against. He's forming relationships with some of the younger cast members he's never played with. Um, is it an advantage? Who knows? Either way, we haven't been able to find out yet. Hopefully we do. With you, I forget how the math lines up, but were you doing Survivor Know-It-Alls before Second Chances filmed? Oh, yeah. And in fact, it was, I would say it was decisive in my getting back on. I think the fact that I was doing it and was therefore, like, I think probably more people were familiar with me from the podcast I did about Survivor than they, like, necessarily remembering me on on my season. I really feel like I, you know, in terms of what my reputation is uh, in respect to the show, I really feel like it's been most burnished from the, from the podcast. Um, and, and, uh, also, I think most important was because it was a fan vote to get back on Second Chances. And I know that the Rob has a podcast and Survivor Know-It-All's community are really what propelled me to, uh, to, to get, to get cast on that show. And, you know, I curse them every day for it because it was a terrible experience. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I actually think that being a podcaster really hurt me on the season because there was a perception among the other contestants that I knew a lot of people and I knew a lot of things about the show. And I already kind of have this sort of, you know, as, as you mentioned at the top, Scott, like this, you know, nerdy, nerdy demeanor. And so people already were worried about me strategically. And then this idea that I was, you know, a know-it-all who analyzed strategy, like they got this idea that I could do, you know, magical strategy things that, you know, were, were outside the bounds of, of human comprehension. And, but I think really more that the, there was a fear that I knew everyone and was therefore like well-connected without that necessarily being, you know, true. I mean, as, as you guys know, you interview, you interview someone, it's, it's fun. You have a fun connection, but it's not like you're 
then best friends, although I do consider us best friends now. Um, but it didn't necessarily, uh, you know, lead nice. to any great strategic alliances. Well, so that that's, it's, it's awesome because you're the perfect person to talk to about this hypothetical because people ask us all the time whether, you know, how that would impact Derek getting called back. If he did get called back, how would it impact his game, the perception of it? The, the slightly different thing about it, and granted, you did come on to second chances, which by definition you were playing with, you know, a, you know, a team and a tribe and an opposing tribe of either either your peers, people who played before you or around the time you played, and maybe some people who played shortly after you. But there wasn't that much of a period like it is with with us where now, interestingly enough, it's like, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, with, with, with Survivor, you guys, you know, what I love about the show is that it's casting a lot of super fans. They self-identify yeah. super fans, and I'm not even just talking on a, on a season like fans versus favorites. It seems like now, for the most part, you even might be the model type, but you're also a super fan. Like Chris Underwood, who looks like Clark Kent, is also a super fan. And you have someone who also, you know, they might be the, the motherly role where, you know, uh, they, they kind of are typecast like that, but they've also watched every season. So something that we strive for with this podcast is we hope that down the line, hypothetically, if someone who has been a big fan of the challenge gets cast for the challenge, that they're excited to come on Challenge Mania after. I hear that all the time. People go on Survivor and they're either talking and they don't air it, but you hear about the fact that, oh, War Dog was, you know, talking with Rick Devins on the island about Rob has a podcast and wanting to be on the show and stuff like that. You know, so so you guys, you know, have that kind of element where in a weird way, the people who are on the show after you do look at you guys from doing the podcast as kind of, you know, having an, I mean, I know the show is called know-it-alls as kind of in a tongue in cheek fashion, but you guys do, you know, know it all in a way. So with us, it's like, we're not at that stage yet. Um, but it's, it's, it's an interesting hypothetical. Well, also the other issue is, you know, we talk a lot of shit. Can I, uh, so, so, you know, yes, you can, you can, go you can say a, shit. Yeah, you can yeah. say shit. Well, we, yeah, we, we, we're family friendly over on the know-it-all. So uh, this is really liberating. I'm just going to start cursing. Um, <laughs> I love but, it when somebody curses and Rob has to pivot and be like, oh, no, yeah, <laughs> no, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty good Rob. Um, but, but, uh, so, so, you know, once you've like, insulted someone's game then you have to like play with them it's a little bit it's slightly awkward and what was most awkward was like one of my great allies um on my uh, season was was jeremy collins i had you know not necessarily praised his wife's game you know when she was on the show so i feel like it's one thing to be friends with someone who talks shit about you but if someone talks shit about your wife like that that's that's something that you know you, you never forget i mean he actually did manage to forgive it so uh so thank you sir thanks jeremy so so let me step my put myself in Steven's shoes, right? He goes back on the show as the podcast host guys, the know-it-all, the survivor know-it-all. Bro, I would have dummied it down beyond, you know, I'm sure that like uh, the, the producers and the, and the people that are interviewing you and all the people on the island are like, oh, you must know everything. And they're just like, they're just like, like blowing you up. Like, and, and you're probably like feeding into it. Like, yeah, actually I do know a thing or two about this game. <laughs> and you know, you're like, like, you're like, you're probably like proud. You're probably like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, you know? And they're like, you know, behind your back, they're probably like, this motherfucker knows way too much information about Survivor. He needs to go. So I would have, I, I dummy it down. And, and Scott, to answer your question, it, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, uh, you know, say I, I do go on one of these things and, uh, and, and they know that Essentially, everyone has already been on the podcast. Most people that are on the show, you know, then and now are, have, have been on the podcast. So there is this like, you know, relationship, you know, this, this friendship 
Thank you for coming on. It was awesome talking to you as opposed to, you know, I may not have a conversation with you in, in a long time. So this is the one that kind of gets us caught up and it's on my show and it's awesome. It's on our show. You know, it's challenge me. It's great. It's, it's great for everybody. So now you go on the challenge like, oh, hey, we just talked. We're buddies, right? Hey, we just talked. We're buddies. Hey, we're good. We're good. And then comes the point where you have to eliminate somebody or take someone out that you just talked to on the podcast. And now you're the asshole for voting them in. Yeah. You know? So it's like, you know, the, it, it, the, the cut, the wound that would come into play when I, when I actually have to do the cutting or the stabbing is, would be, you know, would be like really difficult to deal with. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, do you think you're, oh, sorry. Uh, do you think you're better? Uh, do you think you like know more about the game, like from having done the podcast? Like, do you, oh. have you like, so, so, so that's the thing. It's like, as I was saying, like, if I were you, I would have dummied it down. It's like, no, I don't know everything. We call it know-it-alls just because like we talk about it all. And, but, and that's the point, like, you know, know-it-alls is, is catchy, you know? So do I know everything? No, I don't know everything. I'm not in every room. I'm not in every Island. I'm not on every, you know, you know, voting off process. Like I'm there, I'm seeing it, but I'm not like experiencing it live. Like I just talk to people like, you guys want to come on the podcast when you get back? You know, like yeah. I would, you know, I would really, you know, I would have to dumb me it down, but I don't feel like I know everything. Do I, do I feel like I get a, a better idea of, you know, certain alliances, you know, how close certain people are to others? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, and, and in that way, I kind of get to stay in the game without having to have like private conversations like those private conversations that I would be having with each individual that comes on the show is essentially happening on challenge mania you know and you know they can choose to say as much or as as little as they want but my goal is to always sort of get this get this you know this you know this key information these key points that you're not going to hear anywhere else you know what I'm saying yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's so interesting because so much of the challenge is just these relationships that persist and change from season to season. So I'm sure that, you know, doing the podcast for you is a completely different experience where, you know, than, than for me, where like you're like becoming, you know, a deeper part of those relationships and like weaving yourself into those stories in a way that probably is much more significant and meaningful. And in some ways I felt like I kind of, became more abstracted, you know, so much of, of, of survivor. And I'm sure the challenge as well is just being really situationally attuned, you know, like really having a lot of like being like in the moment, being really like emotionally perceptive to the vibe and how things are moving and, you know, the flow of like the strategy, the strategy is so much, so much of it is just about, you know, Hey, why has no one come and talk to me for the last 30 minutes? You know, why are they all talking to that guy instead? And I think that I got like, so in my head about, I'm I'm the strategy guy, you know, that I maybe lost a little bit of the nimbleness from the social uh, perspective. No, if for, like for me, it's like, you know, for me, it's almost like I couldn't let my guard down. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like at this point, you know, it, it feels like so. So you don't feel left out of these conversations or if say you ever go back in the game again, you know, when you're not when you don't know the next step, when it's like in the air. When you don't know the numbers for fact, then you know you're in trouble. Yeah. Then you yeah. know your name's on the line. You get what I'm saying? Um, if no one's coming up to you when it's like, you know, and, and telling you who to take out, it's, it's probably you. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard ever. Yeah. I think I've heard you guys say that, Stephen. Either you or Rob has talked about that, that feeling of like everything's a little bit too cozy around camp. Everybody, you know, everybody's like, you know, nobody's coming up to you wondering what you're doing this, that. It's just kind of like everything's kind of status quo. It's probably because, but you never got the, the memo or it's the, oh, the, when the quick the, fake smile. You know, hey, how's it going? It's when they're agreeing with you on Survivor that you know something's wrong. People are just like, oh, yeah, that's a great plan. Let's do that. You're like, wait a second. Like, it's not that great a plan. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that, 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 that's when you know. The Challenge Mania shop is open. Head over to challengemania.shop today for the best way to support the podcast while looking good doing it. New designs and items added every few weeks. Maniacs, time to mobilize. Check out challengemania.shop today. Have you ever wanted to do your best impression of CT carrying Johnny Bananas around like a backpack on Cutthroat? Well, now you can with the M-Pack, the fully functional backpack that doubles as a weight training pack. And our girl Emily Schramm is nice enough to hook up Challenge Mania listeners with 15% off your entire order. Just go to www.thempack.com slash mania and enter the code mania at checkout. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Scott, who do you think I am? Leonardo Decathlon? I'm not ready to carry an M-Pack full of weights yet. I sit around listening to you and D all day and watching Vendetta's trailers. Well, M-Pack also has really cool-looking gear as well. They've got soft, comfy sweatpants, a really dope hat, T-shirts, and some other gear that looks good on everyone and makes awesome gifts for the active person or challenge fan in your life. So if you want to show some love to one of the nicest challenge competitors around, Emily Schramm, and support the Challenge Mania podcast, all while scoring some sick new threads workout gear or backpacks in the process go to www.thempack.com slash mania and remember to use the code mania to get 15 percent off your whole order not 10 percent. we're talking 15 percent off anybody who cops some gear since d and i picky you sporting it we'll be sure to retweet you shout you out on the show and show you some love uh, you guys have probably talked about this on your show and I'm just, and I can't remember also. So for, for second chances, it was a fan vote. Were there parameters? Did they give them a list of people? Like, were you on the list and, and was Rob not on the list? Cause I'm wondering, you mentioned like the popularity of the podcast probably led to you getting voted on. I do agree with that. And it's funny. It's like, if there was ever a fan vote for a challenge season, I think Derek would be a shoe in. They've never done that. I think that would actually be interesting. You know, it's funny. Your podcast is, you know, there are other survivor podcasts. It's obviously the biggest one, but doing stuff like a podcast really does elevate your profile and keeps it out there in the fan community. You know, it's one of those things with Challenge Mania. Derek is out there, even though he's on the other side of the interviews, he's out there in the earbuds of all the Challenge fans every week, whereas if other people aren't doing the season of the show, sure, people follow him on Instagram, but they can kind of go by the wayside. I always talk about how the veterans from the, the, the era before social media really missed out because like a Cyrus or a Coral, who are household names to any of us who watched MTV in the late 90s, they don't yeah. have the followings and they're not the sort of important people that they could have been if they existed in the realm of social media. The flip side of it with your podcast is that I noticed that people who recurringly go on the Rob has a podcast network, um, not necessarily on your show because your show, you're always the co-host, but Rob fills the other podcast that, you know, the feedback show and whatnot, uh, with, with other guests and the people who come back on the, you know, the Dr. Mike's of the world and the Brett LaBelle's and Brett LaBelle, who was just on amazing race. You know, you wonder, was he called for that? Because he's kind of out there in the ether by doing the, uh, Rob has a podcast show and the Hannah's and stuff like that. Um, so my question to you is, you know, when you were voted in, ideally, probably because of your profile as a podcast host, was Rob not in consideration? Because I would think Rob would have been a shoe in to get a vote. 
Yeah, he was not in consideration. It was 32. So they gave us, you know, 32 people out of whom the fans could choose 20. I, cause I'm, I'm sure if there were a fan vote, Rob, Rob would, uh, you know, ace that. Cause I agree with you. There's something, you know, uniquely intimate about, uh, the relationship between like podcasting and, and listening to a podcast where, you know, that person is literally in your ears, you know, you've got your headphones and like that person is like right into your brain. And so it does, I, I feel like it does create this like great community and, and really real feeling of connection with uh, the people who, you know, who listen to podcasts. You know, they used to say that about, um, about TV, right? Where, the, the people who watched friends felt like they had more friends. Like there was a study done, um, which was, which is kind of great, you know, and, and, and certainly, you know, MTV really led the way with bringing a really diverse community of people into people's living rooms. And I'm sure had a tremendous impact on, you know, broad acceptance. Like, like I think the first gay kiss was on MTV. That might not be true. Um, it was definitely up there. You know, I, I mean, I know Pedro was like the first guy with AIDS, you know, was, 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 or if he was not the first, he was certainly a trailblazer, um, or with HIV, I guess at the time. Um, but anyway, you know, so, so, and I think that the podcasts are an even more intimate way, right? As the, the TV is just in your living room. Like the podcast is in your head. Yeah. And I wonder where that line is. Cause clearly it's like, you know, I don't know. You mentioned it was, you know, a list of 32 people and I don't know that it's that, you know, you came in second place. And, and so it was one of those things where they were trying to get people who really, you know, were very close or my question, I wonder sometimes is, are, you know, are you looked at as sort of a co-host of a podcast, whereas Rob is looked at, at this, as this podcast mogul? And is he sort of, has he gotten past the thing where now it's sort of, it would be weird to have him back on the show? I wonder, and I know you can tell, you can tell me, or maybe you don't want to, whether he's gotten any calls since the podcast has really taken off. Cause I'm fascinated by that. Like, do you ever become the media officially to like, cause like Andrea, she works for people. She does the media, but I think they're going to keep calling her back, you know? So like, is, do you think that Rob is past that point where they might be hesitant to have him on? Is he too close to it at this point? Well, I think it's a, it's a really good question. It's probably two things, right? It's probably like one, you know, they, they rely on him now for promotion, right? Like now with his like 16 different podcasts, like that's huge for the show. And then the other 16? thing is, well, not really. I mean, it's probably, well, it's about a survivor. It's probably like six or seven. Um, yeah, it's, you know, at, least, not, it's at least four or five. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't co-host all of them, but you know, he certainly does, you know, he's got his, the network itself has got a, a, a large number. And then, um, you know, and, and then from his perspective, like, is it worth it to me to take, you know, a, a season off, whether, you know, presumably he can't podcast about, although they, they did let me blog about the show, but Jeff Probst read every blog that I wrote about it when I was on. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, come on, like Jeff is not, you know, read, reading these over and like giving his, his line edits, but nope, it turned out that actually he was, you know? And so you <laughs> didn't do the know-it-alls after uh, or during uh, Second Chances? Yeah, which was a terrible experience because then like people were second guessing my strategic choices, you know, and it's awful because like whenever you make a decision on the show, uh, you know, a thousand different calculations are going into your mind. But on TV, it looks like one simple calculation is part of your decision, you know, and I'm sure it's the exact same on the on the challenge where like you're like, here's the 45 reasons we're voting this person into the tribunal. And, you know, when, on TV, it's like, you know, he's mad at Kara, so screw him, you know, but, so but, um, you, so you decided not to do your podcast for the show that you were on. Well, you probably was I, told you couldn't, right? Yeah. I don't think, I, I actually don't remember if they specifically told, said that I wasn't allowed to, but I, I'm pretty sure that they told me I was not allowed to do, uh, but then they did let me blog about it. So, but again, like that was something that they could control a little bit more. Yeah. They've done right, that. Right, They've right. allowed like on uh, final reckoning, 
Cara and Marie both had blogs for uh, Betches and, and People.com where they were actually, to be honest with you, Cara in particular, but both of them were actually like putting stuff in those blogs that, you know, were not shown on the show and were actually kind of, you know, clarifying things that you wonder, like, did they actually want clarified or did they want this out there in the world? And I think Marie probably got more of a slap on the wrist than Cara ever did, or at least Cara sometimes just doesn't care if she gets the slap on the wrist. But since we're in such an infancy stage of Challenge Mania, and with the Derek thing, people ask us all these hypotheticals that I do not know the answer to. People are like, oh, if Derek did a, uh, did a season, would he then be able to come back and podcast about the season? It's like, we don't know because they've, you yeah. know, they've never let us know that. So yeah, it's one well, of those things where it'd be awkward. I mean, Derek, like, you know, people who listen to our show know this, um, and we make the joke about it all the time, but we do a podcast that has nothing to do with Derek. He's not even on the show and we'll get done with it. He'll be like, yeah, you got to cut that out. You got to cut that out. And he's, you know, very weary of, we, we collectively, but Derek specifically are weary about stepping on toes about, you know, whether revealing too much or spoiling too much or maybe kind of, you know, divulging stuff that kind of lets people a little bit too far behind the curtain for the challenge gods is liking because he is still in the he's still in the uh, the challenge family. He is someone who might get called back. He doesn't want to burn that bridge. Now, if he actually did the show, I can't imagine how many how many things he'd be calling me after the podcast. But yeah, so remember that time where I kind of like had that dramatic pause. You got to cut that out because people are going to think I paused because I got eliminated. I, I feel like it'd be weird. Nah, I, we I, we essentially did it for the dirty thirty. I felt like so it wasn't like no, but that the, was after it had already aired. Our first episode mm-hmm. was after the, the finale had aired. Because uh, yeah, think well. of it this way: as far as divulge, like so, Stephen, like you know, it's one of those things where you you can't remember whether you were told not to or you just didn't want to do it. Uh, what I love about your guys' show is sometimes something I envy and, and wish we could do more of, um, which is you guys are constantly talking about, I know you guys don't directly use the word edit or you guys, you know, you guys try to stay away from that, but you guys will, I, I forget if it was on your guys' show or it might've been on the wiggle room. There was a moment earlier this season where Kelly Wentworth, uh, they used a soundbite out of context and Rob or somebody had figured out that, you know, her soundbite about Rick Devins was repurposed. And yeah. the interview they used of her being like, and, and guess who walks in? Rick Devins. Oh, no. And they figured out that it was the same clip of her being like, and now Survivor Pizza again? Oh, no. And, like, I'm fascinated by that. Uh, as a reality TV viewer, as a reality, pr- former reality TV professional, I eat that shit up. Whereas yeah. that's the stuff that D is like, eh, I don't want to include that stuff. And that's yeah, what our listeners like, are constantly writing mm-hmm, us about mm-hmm. and stuff. So that's yeah. the stuff, Stephen, that I feel like if you were doing a podcast about your own season, you'd be weary about that. That stuff, because that's the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know what's in the survivor contracts or whatnot, but you know, like what type of stuff you can talk about that was sort of repurposed, that was sort of, you know, and I do find that the guests on Rob's show are very candid. I just listened to that. What it was a two hour interview with Devin's and he was very candid and very upfront about like stuff that was either not shown or repurposed and this and that. So I don't know how, how much they draw that line there, but I'd imagine if you're sitting there with that, you know, NDA in front of you that says, do not spoil anything. And you're just on a live mic because you guys do the show live via mm. you know, a lot of you guys listen to it live. We have the luxury of we're recording this now. If one of us says something dumb, I can cut it out. You know, if I ramble <laughs> for too long, I can cut out 20 seconds and make me sound concise. So you guys don't do that. There's, your patrons and stuff are listening to that live. So, I mean, imagine the brain fart if like by accident you blurted out like, you know, an early a limb or something like that. I mean, that would be so stressful. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, sorry, I wasn't sure which one uh, should answer that. Uh, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fuck that up. But one of our guests may. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I tread, you know, I, I tread that line lightly. So, um, it's not so much that I worry about me. I worry about them. You know. 
And, you know, my, so my ex- live. Whoa. So well, you guys are just recording live about the show. Like, so l- let me get this straight. Hold on. So, for example, um, you guys just had Devin's on. Could you have Devin's on during the season? On a no. typical, uh, well, on a typical season, you do get people on after they're voted out, but it's like they're a ex- very, yeah. it's a very like controlled and very like they listen to those interviews very closely, right? Yeah, and and usually, I mean, I, I, although I think this is sometimes not the case, but usually there's actually a CBS press person on the line with yeah. you. Yeah. I think, I think most people behave, you know, I think like no yeah. one wants the show to be spoiled, you know, like mm-hmm. nobody, like no one, like ever, like the contestants, the former contestants, the fans, I feel like we all want the same thing. You know, we mm-hmm. want a really fun show that like surprises us and keeps us interested. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the spoilers do get out, but typically they don't get out through podcasts. You know, it's fans will, you know, they'll tell a friend who will tell a friend, you know, there's, there's some returning players who are notorious for, uh, uh, telling, you know, large, large, uh, mouth individuals who will then go on and and spread things but um you know it's it's uh it's 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 a really good question you know like how much how much talk about the the story stuff the edit stuff like i agree with you scott like to me that's the to me that's the most interesting part is you know how these stories are constructed because you know the storytellers who are creating the show are just incredible storytellers you know there's foreshadowing i actually this is one of the things i wanted to ask you guys about because like to me i i watched the survivor i mean and maybe maybe you don't want to talk about it it turns out i watch survivor and i'm like you know i'm fascinated by the strategy i'm fascinated by the social dynamics i'm also fascinated by the story that's being told by the show you know and if you can see from foreshadowing in episode one who is you know going to win the game or or, or have some you i know, love crazy thing. i love that i totally love that that's why what's great is that you just mentioned that you don't know if we'd want to talk about it Derek I think I can speak for you. We're happy to talk about it in a survivor context. So, yeah, not about the know, challenge. But okay. when it comes to the challenge. What do you mean? What do you mean? You always stop me whenever I like start talking about, you know, editing and whatnot. You always stop me. But I'm saying we're, we're talking to Steven about survivors so we can kind of oh, talk about it. Yeah. yeah let, let me let me just uh, let me narrow it all down. So that CBS person that's on your line, yeah. uh, usually that that's that's me. I just I just do it while we're on, you know, then later on, <laughs> yeah. like, you guys take that yeah. out. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it's not like the, the CBS person's gonna be like, uh, it, it, they're not gonna. I mean, they might like. Have they ever like just jumped in here? We'll talk about some leaks. We'll talk about Survivor. Rob has a podcast leaks. So does the CBS person ever uh, jump in and be like, eh? I don't think don't so. They're they're pretty. Yeah. Cha- I mean, yeah. I I think they're like. <laughs> 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 um, I'll tell you, they don't do it like that. But what they do is, is they'll be like, um, they'll let it go because the the exit interviews are taped. They don't do those live. So what yeah. they'll do is they'll play it cool. Then afterwards, they'll be like, hey Rob, so we're gonna have to cut out that thing he says about the sandwich because uh, we uh, we didn't edit it that way. We actually did the auction first. So you're gonna so, have to just cut out that sandwich bit. Thanks, so, Rob. So so that so that's what I do. I, I I give them usually like a briefing, like a quick briefing of like what they can and can't say, and then it's usually okay. But sometimes I'll forget to like brief them, right? And 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 if they go overboard, which doesn't happen that often. Or, or Derek, we get this too, is like the reason someone's coming on our show, or so they think, is to kind of clear the air on some of this stuff, and they mm-hmm. didn't like how they were shown, and they want to kind of let us yeah. know, well, actually, it was this, and actually it was that, and then Derek will be like, yeah, you gotta cut that out. And I'll be like, and I'll be like, I'll be like, alright, well, that's gonna suck for so-and-so who just came on to like, kind of right the wrong of the edit that made him look like they were, you know, desperate in that situation, or made it look like they started the fight. That's so cool that you're such like, I mean, honestly, I think that's a really admirable 
quality to be like such a team player, you know, like you're, I mean, I guess, and maybe that comes from being on so many seasons that you're like a, a part of this franchise. You know, I, I do think a lot, you know, survivor contestants, right. 95% of them are one and done. And so I think for them, maybe there's a more of a sense of like, I need to get my story out there because this is the one chance I had. And, and CBS is actually like, they're, typically cool with people going out and being like, Hey, this is my, you know, unless you're spoiling something from a yeah. production perspective, like they're typically cool with like, you know, being like, Hey, this is, this is how I perceive things. And, and I think like from, you know, as a fan, like I, I feel like that adds a richness to it. Now, of course I never believe anything that a past player says, cause everything is so self-serving, but um, you know, I, I think it adds, it's like cool to see like, Hey, like 10 people saw this event from different perspectives. You know, one of those made the show, but you know, those other nine are equally valid. Well, I'll give, let me give you an example. So there's been stuff I've heard on those, those like, uh, retrospective podcasts where they have someone on at the end, like, like what Devin's just did and they go through the whole season. And I honestly, that's something that, you know, is what we do with, with Challenge Mania is we sometimes, we will have people on during the season. So, you know, we had say Ninja Natalie on about, you know, five, six episodes in the season and we kind of have to tread the line where we can talk about what happened and then we kind of have to make sure we don't kind of allude to or spoil anything going forward. And then sometimes we do have people on after the whole season. Um, Sometimes we'll have people on maybe after, you know, after they filmed something, but it hasn't even aired yet. So we're constantly treading that line. When Rob has somebody on, uh, after the full season's played out and they go in detail through every beat, I've heard some stuff where it's not even like, you know, the 10 different ways they could show something. I've heard people say, Oh, we found so and so found an idol, but it just never played in story. So they didn't show it. Or like Zeke hit an idol on his first appearance on Survivor. And then afterwards in a future season, him or someone else found it and they told him he couldn't use it. Like that stuff to me is like, the, like getting that kind of inside information is like crack for me. And that's the kind of stuff that if someone came on our show and kind of divulged something like that, we would probably cut it out, unfortunately, because that's something that we do want to give the challenge gods the creative license to not let everyone know at what point they kind of decide things should or shouldn't be shown like that. Um, and whether they one day want to let us know that we can talk about that stuff or whether someone wants to bring something up on the show or on the reunion and then we kind of consider it fair game, we try to be respectful of that. But I've heard some stuff. I'm so shocked that people admit some of the stuff that I hear on those podcasts. It's amazing. I love it. Um, and, and another thing is, Scott, and here's one, here's another example that I didn't actually I didn't say this to you. I just kind of let it ro- let it happen. And speaking of finales, and we can talk about the differences between survivor finales and uh, I'm sorry, survivor reunions and uh, and challenge reunions like we're about to see um, is that. So we had Theo on and he was talking about this fight that uh, happened between Ninja Natalie and uh, they, they they basically took her ninja name away from her. Right. They were calling uh, Ninja Ninja Georgia. They're calling right. her Ninja Georgia. This made Ninja Natalie pretty upset, right? Like rightfully so. In yeah. the end, Ninja Natalie prevails and she is the true ninja because she finishes first out of yeah. the all the girls in this torturous finale, you know? Um But there was this fight that um there's a couple of fights, Scott, that Theo described, and we're nearing an end. And I'm thinking, is this, you know, divulging too much information or is this just a fucking great tease if it happens? <laughs> because, you know, because to me, I'm like, this is an awesome teaser if the fight actually comes to fruition. You know, like if this if if these fights that there's like three different fights that he named off. Sky was like him and Kyle. It was like him and Ninja. I don't know. Somebody else. They never ended up. They never end up showing it, but I'm pretty sure some of this stuff is going to come out on the reunion. 
Well, so that's like, I do you really think that they would mind? Like, I guess, have you, do you have a sense or do you have a sense that they would actually mind if you guys were a little bit like looser with it? Because from my perspective, you know, people get cast right uh, on the challenge just based on like Twitter beef, you know, like them hurling insults on Twitter is enough to create a, a rivalry. And it seems like I would imagine that people would, that, you know, maybe they would love it. Yeah, I, 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 so that was left in. I didn't even, I didn't even bat an eye. I just thought about it for a quick second and was like, that's an, that, that, this is great. I'll tell you you where D is a little bit more stringent is when it comes to the logistics of challenges and eliminations. And what happens there is, as I mentioned, people love to come on our show and kind of clear the air on stuff. A lot of people feel like they lost an elimination or lost a challenge because rules weren't properly explained or rules were changed in the middle of the challenge or on final reckoning. There was a rumor that a challenge had been completely redone because it crapped out in the middle of it and they came back and did a different challenge that suited the other two team more and stuff like that is where Derek's like, okay, you might need to get that out. Again, so, like, I think that's really cool. I think that's really cool that you're so, you know, you're, you're, you know, so supportive of the spirit of the, of the producers. I think that's like great. You know, so there's amazing loyalty. Um, well, let's talk about your opinion on war of the worlds. You tweeted, I don't know if you were just brown nosing cause you were going to come on the show, but you tweeted, uh, that that's how you do a finale. That's how you do a final, uh, people, you know, I don't know how t- uh, plugged in you are to the challenge universe, but people were pretty unconditionally pleased with this season. Uh, the look of it, the feel of it, the going back to the harder daily challenges, the harder eliminations for the most part, the fact that there weren't any annoying cliffhangers where instead of ending with an elimination, we ended with a to be continued. That lasted, oh, that drove me crazy. It lasted about like, you know, 80% of the season and then they kind of decided, okay, now we're going to screw them every episode. Uh, the final was probably the hardest thing we've ever seen on screen. Um, and as we mentioned, a lot of the characters, they, you know, the new blood in the season really p- uh, panned out. So everyone on our end liked it. Uh, we'd love to know what you loved about the season or what you liked about the final and what caused that tweet of yours? Who were some of your favorite newer cast members that you saw? Who were some of your favorites that returned? I mean, it was all those things you said, you know, part of the reason I kind of like checked out of the challenge in the, in the late twenties and I've gone back and watched basically all, I think, but one of them was just that, you know, it did seem like every episode there wasn't even a full challenge. You know, it was like ha- maybe maybe one challenge, sometimes half a challenge. And like I'm, I'm not watching the challenge to not see challenges. And so to have this incredibly, you know, and, and like to your, to your point, Scott, I'm not the most you know physical human being myself, but you know, it's it's really awesome to see other people doing things that I could never even dream of doing myself. And you know, I I mean, I loved that these these new competitors who are much more physical. I loved you know this them bringing in this cast that was really you know there was. There's a whole other, you know, block basically with these, with these UK people. And as a result, you know, it wasn't just the, the, the normal like picking off of, of new players. You had a lot of like really strong willed independent people who were going to make their own decisions. You know, I thought that the structure was great in terms of the way that the initial teams were set up. And then I thought it was a great twist where now you're all individuals. I, the, and, and then this, this end, you know, the, I mean, you know, I think coming off of two seasons or, or sorry, two different shows that just had their finales survivor and game of Thrones where fans were really outraged by things, things that they felt coming from left field, you know, with, with game of Thrones, not to spoil anything, but I think, you know, people really felt that a spoil lot of it. 
no. spoil it. A lot of what happened, right, was just like really sudden. And like, you know, people felt like, you know, where did all of these huge things come from? And then the same thing with Survivor, where like out of left field, you have this winner to see these challengers, you know, work their like grind their way to the top and then have this two episode slog as a finish. was just it was just felt like such a satisfying finale. Like the people who made it, you know, like bled for it. And I mean, not that, you know, you want everyone to bleed for everything, but it just felt like such an incredibly satisfying end. To, and, and there's no ambiguity like you know that the guy who won that incredible death march deserved to win well it's also it's a little bit of course correction because last season survivor had the banner year david versus goliath is you know one of my favorite probably my favorite oh, season yeah. of survivor i've ever seen and the final reckoning which aired simultaneously to that is probably one of the worst seasons of the challenge i've ever seen the reason being it was so convoluted you had the redemption house where people were getting eliminated five teams at a time without even competing you had the really convoluted um thing in the final where every team made it but then only one team got money and then within that the one person got to steal the money from the other no one ever knew what parts were timed what parts weren't there was a lot of stuff where again we would love to clear it up on the podcast afterwards but we're not really going to so there was a lot of people left equally as annoyed if not more so with the final reckoning as they were with edge of extinction let alone game of thrones so here we come to the uh the war of the worlds where they i think really heard all those gripes they brought back somebody who I think brought back some of the uh, challenge god who brought back some of the older feel when it comes to the daily eliminations, that really gritty look and the uh, the Mad Max vibe was sort of attributed to them. And then also on top of it, I think they really dumbed it down. They got simple. Most of these episodes ended with an elimination. No redemption house. Really hard final. All the stuff that people were annoyed with, they fixed. I think with Survivor, they were probably like, alright, we gave him, you know, yes, there was like a hokey title, David versus Goliath, but we gave him a pretty straightforward season. Now this next one, let's have a weird twist. And so we're kind of going back and forth on these things. The next season of Survivor um, also kind of has, I guess we don't know specifically how the uh, Rob and Sandra are going to come into play. It seems like it, it's, what is it? Island of the Idols is is called, which is ironic because everyone's kind of annoyed that there's a lot of idols. So I know they mean, <laughs> I know they mean idols in a different uh, context, but you do have two returning players, albeit I think in so, somewhat of a coach's role. It'll be interesting to see how they rebound here. Survivor doesn't really have the luxury though of being able to read their audience as well because as we know they tape shows in a different way. They go out to Fiji and tape two back to back, which affects how people play because they haven't seen the last season or two before they go out there. And it also affects the way that Survivor can read their audience. You know, the challenge was lucky enough to read their audience during Final Reckoning and probably think, OK, we have to go back to the roots because people are hating this. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, I mean, um, it's, it's always like this question of like in this crazy TV landscape that we're in now where like how much excitement do you need? And I'm sure this, you know, and with every, every scripted drama, right? Every scripted drama ends with a cliffhanger. It ends with an explosion. Like who's alive? Who's dead? I'm sure that was part of their thinking when they, when they were creating all those cliffhanger endings for the show. And I think Survivor has a lot of that too. Like, you know, we need explosions, you know, strategic explosions <laughs> to match the literal explosions that are on scripted TV. So they, they add more idols, but then people get annoyed. And so the, how much are you pleasing the fans, the, the hardcore fans, and how much are you trying to tr- just trying to create like spectacle? All right. Speaking of spectacle, as Steven said, if you enjoy the spectacle of the challenge every Wednesday, I want to take a quick second to tell you about what we do over at Patreon.com slash challenge mania. I know War of the Worlds is wrapping up, but all season we did a bonus podcast called 
The War Room over at patreon.com slash challengemania. And yes, I say it like that almost every time. After each episode got done airing, D and I would go to the Patreon. We would take questions from our patrons and we would break down each episode in detail. These podcasts would be about 90 minutes Sort of like the Survivor Know-It-Alls, if you will, but for the challenge. Not only do you get that, but by being a patron, you also get entered in the running to be on our bonus podcast series, Meet the Patrons. Once a month, we interview one of you. We put you in the hot seat. We find out your challenge story, who you, who your favorites are, your favorite seasons, what you enjoyed about this season, and then we have a full-on challenge conversation with you. That's right, you're the guest. We also do tons of giveaways every week over there at the Patreon. And just by being a patron, you become a part of the Challenge Mania community. What we're doing right now is a special where you can test out all the bonus podcasts from this season of War of the Worlds. We've put every War Room episode up for the $5 level. Now, going into season 34, those are going to go back to the $15 level if you want to be a part of the action in real time on Wednesday nights. You will have to be the Maniac level, which is $15. But during the offseason, you can go and binge all of the War Room podcasts, or shall I say, the War Room, for the $5 level. We also, in the offseason, are going to be doing really fun stuff like extra veteran bonus interviews. And we're going to go and we're going to do War Room-style breakdowns of old classic challenge episodes. That's right. Some of Derek's famous seasons, The Island, Gauntlet, all those seasons that Derek participated in with some of the greats of the game, we're going to go and rewatch some of those or at least some of the big episodes and break those down War Room style. That's my pitch. That's my plug for the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Challenge Mania. Guys, just by listening to Challenge Mania, you are doing enough. So don't feel like you have to do it. But if you do want to be a part of the pod squad, we would love to have you. And another thing, we do a lot of Challenge Mania lives. Sometimes these things sell out. And if you're a patron, you get first access to tickets to all of our shows. Not a bad gig. Sometimes we do patron-only events as well. We'll do patron-only stuff uh, in the city when we come to you. And you are, of course, always invited to that. All right, guys, more with Stephen Fishback. Here we go. This conversation continues. This is a long one. It's a good one. Here we go. Um, when I learned that you were a challenge fan, I, I am now I'm remembering that you were, and this is when I realized you were actually like a real challenge fan, although she's a newer cast member, you were going off about how much you love Cam. Uh, oh my god, I love Cam. So talk about what it is about Cam as a player, as a character that jumps out at you. Cause I don't think, I don't, to be honest with you, maybe I'm wrong or, for saying this, that like if you, if you said like, who do you think Steven Fishback's favorite player is? I would say, oh, maybe Devin, I don't know. But the fact that you were just like saying that, oh, I love this season because my favorite player currently is on it and it's Cam, I was like, oh wow, I want to talk to him about the challenge. So explain that. Well, I feel like Cam is the total package as competitors go. You know, first of all, she gives amazing confessionals. She has like so much. She's like, she seems to be enjoying herself in her confessionals. You know, she's like having fun. She's like playing it up, you know, the name Queen Cam. And if that was all she was, was like, let me give myself like fun names. Like that might not be enough, but you know, she's, she's really fierce in the, in the competitions. You know, she did super well in, in a number of the eliminations. She always has like so much heart and so much good spirit in, in all of those competitions. And then, um, She's also really strategically crafty as well. You know, she's not one of these contestants who comes in and is like, well, I'm a newbie. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to like make any waves. I'll just like feel my way. You know, she came in, she wanted to start some drama. You know, there was a, gosh, I'm not remembering the specifics, but it was either last season or the season before that where she created this whole like diversion plot in order to enact her real plot. Oh, yeah. And I just like, you know, we don't see a lot. I mean, maybe a lot of that happens, but I feel like a lot of that doesn't make air on the challenge. And I, I just loved it. 
Um, I want to roll through, uh, oh, by the way, quick shameless plug. If you too listening to this are a kill a cam fan, we just launched our cam collection over at challengemania.shop. You can get free shipping over uh, on orders over $45, I think until June 14th. So quite a while if you want to get the queen cam, kill a cam gear. There's a queen shirt, a kill a shirt, and then there's one that's like the dichotomy of cam where you got the queen cam on one side and the kill a cam on the other. Uh, I'll send you one, Stephen. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. Good. Yeah, I'll wear that proudly. I want to, and by the way, so you, you mentioned Game of Thrones in passing. I do want to talk about that with you, but we'll save for the end of the podcast in case anyone for some odd reason is saving it. I know Mark Long, oddly enough, I, I mentioned Game of Thrones because we interviewed him a few weeks ago and he's like, oh, I'm saving it. So there are people out there that for whatever reason are still catching up or saving it. So we'll put that at the end. So if you want to turn it off and not have it spoiled, we'll put that at the end. Um, I also want to rapid fire some questions for you, but before we do that, I'm going to name some other cast members and stuff and you can tell me your opinion on them because you've been watching for a while um favorite new cast member from this season first and foremost like had never played before i mean i really like theo you know he he was like like for for similar reasons like just great competitor really seemed to be having a lot of fun out there um you know i know you're a george a big georgia fan i was also a huge georgia fan um she she was i mean Matt, i love maddie you know i i obviously like you know I, I love these great physical competitors and she was she seemed to be you know i think west called her like the total package so you know i think she you know i sort of had that, that opinion as well um I, who are your guys favorites from this new season d I, I think those are all good ones you know um you know we could just go down the line and and talk oh, about you know how, what's it well we could talk about you know what each character is essentially added to the challenge mix right like you got a guy like beast for example right guys built like a shit brick house you know what i mean like you don't just have a beat we have a beast for crying out loud we have a beast <laughs> we have a fucking turbo yeah these are all like you know, these are all video game. These are video game characters, man. This is, yeah. this is exact. You know, the the beast guy is he's fierce, man. You know, like at some point he's gonna be, you know, you know, a, a force to be reckoned with. See, it's funny. I think I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm you're the only person that when someone's like, who jumped out of you from the season that you went with with Ashley, aka Beast. I feel like in this season he kind of got lost in the shuffle for most of us. Well, well, at the beginning, it, you know, for me it was like. Wow, look at this physical specimen. Like, this guy is going to be tough to beat. And on top of that, like, you know, he's the one that had that sort of like, you know, the, you know, the eye of the tiger when you were questioning whether there was going to be a solidified UK alliance or not. That was the face you saw. That was the eye you saw. That was the difference between the are you the one? That tried to do it and the UK alliance, which ended up being an alliance, you know, so but eventually we find out that, you know, he's not, you know, he's athletic in some ways and he's not athletic in in certain ways. You know what I mean? So he does have some weaknesses, it seems like, because, you know, essentially, uh, you know, Amanda and, and Josh had them beat. They just sort of, you know, redlined there at the end. And, and that was it. They were out, you know, and I, I later on found out that it, it did take, you know, Cam, Cam, Cam and Beast, uh, quite some time to get up there. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, in time we'll find out, you know, and I was actually thinking about, you know, maybe getting him on the podcast at some point soon too. Um, you know, but, but I'm just saying like across the board, you know, even like the Theo, like I watch this guy's lives and he's just like hilarious. 
Well, you he was I mean? great. I mean, we had him on the show. He was, he's fantastic. And that's why it's funny. You mentioned Ashley, aka Beast. You wonder, will we get a chance to see a guy like that again? Because, you know, these, these recent seasons where they've even bringing, you know, been bringing in four, five, six new people at a time. And then you have so many veterans that people want to see. And if a format isn't based on like, you know, half UK or half rookies or half whatever, how many from this last crop can you really validate bringing back the next season? Mm. You know, it's like, just talk about freshmen one and two there's people who really they did the one season uh, correct me if i'm wrong i forget their names but the people who won fresh meats one and two along with Darrell and landon never played again i don't think right so i mean th- it's, it's one of those things where you have a season like this where you have bears and georgias and theos and turbos and maddie's you know these guys and gals seem like shoe ins bears to beasts and turbos sorry yeah well no I, you have bears beasts and turbos and you wonder is there room for all three so you know lions and tigers and bears oh my maybe the maybe the lion is the one that you don't see you know maybe bear, you, bear is a lock right like they're definitely bringing back bear i, I would guess Look, look, but that's my point. Like we can go down the line and talk about these newer characters. And the reason why Beast sort of stood out to me is is because I think I just saw him on a on a clip. And he's he's one of those guys that like we don't talk about all the time. Right. Like he just kind of got lost in the mix, got eliminated kind of midway. And, you know, but at the beginning, you know, he sort of did make a name for himself, you know, and, and, and later on, you know, we, you know, we've talked about Maddie. We know how, you know, how physically imposing she was when she was dragging two girls across the, the killing floor. You know, she, she's an awesome personality. She was on a season of Party Down South for five seasons, yeah. you know, before she came on the challenge. Like, she's amazing. She's awesome. You know, same thing with like, you know, Georgia, like, you know, the underdog player of the season. You know, like Ninja. We had a Ninja. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. We, we screwed this up. Bears, Beasts, <laughs> Ninjas, and Turbos. We, we, you know what I'm saying? We have, like, we, we haven't even gotten there yet. Dude. Maddie was just like her own, you know, her own specimen, you know? Coming from a show called Party Down South, she's dragging people across the fucking killing floor in her first season. You know well, what part I mean? Of- but but also like part of it is too like right the fact that she's been on a show before like you know you you become better TV right from having from having done it I'm sure you know you can tell that with like all the challenge bets like they're they're you guys are like so good at it you know at being at being TV characters I mean and and, and maybe someone like Bear I, and I don't know what his back I guess he was on Big Brother like um I'm sorry no sorry uh, like yeah, Beast, he, he who was celebrity Bear was what, celebrity what was, Big Brother in the UK. Well, what was Beast? Did Beast have any background like that? He like did, Ashley? I think he did X on the Beach uh, or one yeah. of those shows in the UK, and I think he was also in X Men. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree with you, Derek. Like, I really liked him, and he, he was such an imposing figure that, and I think that's part of, you know, part of the challenge is just these, like, giant physical icons, you know, who, who, like, stride in. I mean, obviously, CT has a lot of personality, but, like, so, you know, sometimes on the camera, like, you know, like Landon, I, I mean, you know, there, so there is, like, I feel like there's a place for, like, a, just, like, a strong, silent dude, you know, who's just incredibly, like, this monolith that you have to get through to win the game. Um, yeah. I'm going to use this as a dual purpose, as a way to shamelessly plug our next two live shows, but get your opinion on the people that will be joining us. So on Saturday, June the 8th, we're going to be at the Denver Improv for Challenge Mania Live, and we're going to be joined by Nehemiah Clark. Do you remember Nehemiah from Real World Austin? Oh, yeah. He was in – um. God, what I, what season was he uh, Was he on in the challenge? He was on like one of my so favorite seasons. He actually seasons. won a season of the challenge that yeah, I'm going to look like, up right now. The duel was he? He was on the duel. Um, 
So the yeah. season that he won of the challenge Gauntlet was Gauntlet three. 3. He was on the Duel, Gauntlet 3, the Duel 2, and Rivals, which I think you mentioned was kind of like your, your gateway season. Oh, yeah, season. that's why I know. He yes, that's Rivals. why he was like imprinted on me so much. Yeah, like I loved, I love Nehemiah. That's so, that's so cool. Like to bring someone like him who was a really big character and a big player like back in the day. And then, you know, what happened? Like where is that guy? Like it's fun to see those guys come back. And I think they've been, you know, occasionally they'll, you guys will bring back people who, you know, these sort of legendary former players but but uh, it would be it's cool to to i'm sure that the podcast is a gateway for those people back into the show i mean hearing the interview with alton again i was like my god they should cast alton i'm sure everyone had that you know i'm sure i'm sure you know i I don't know if producers listen to this or the sorry if the challenge gods listen to this but but uh, i'm sure you know some of them must right it's it's a it's a podcast about the thing that they make yeah, I, we we, we wonder know. sometimes, and, and not even just our podcast, we do wonder how much they take the feedback of the Challenge Maniacs on social media and the, the Reddits of the world and the people who are tagging them and saying, oh, you got to have Derek back on, oh, we want to have Nehemiah back on, how much they actually listen to that, um, whether they listen to it when it's more of a broad thing, like, hey, you know, harder eliminations or, hey, longer finals or whatever, um, probably more so that than when it comes to asking about the same challenger. I mean, there are, there are veteran challengers. Challengers who have not been on as recently as Derek, who make it very well known every season that they want to be back on the show. And I think at this point, the challenge gods kind of humor them and give them that availability call so they can kind of like tell their friends and family. And then when they, we- and then when they <laughs> oh, weed God. it down to the 30 That's people, evil. they weed it down to 30 people and you look at the veteran slots and you're like, I don't, the only <laughs> veterans on the show. I don't think show, it's quite like that. I don't think it's quite like that, Stephen. Yeah. No, but D, let, let's be honest. When I hear about some of the people that got quote unquote availability, calls. And then when I see how the roster shakes out and I see that there are only 15 slots for veterans in general and that half of them are, are, are mainstays, Car Maria, you know, Wes, Johnny, etc. And they're considering guys like Paulie and Davon veterans too. I'm looking at it and I'm like, how could that person who mentioned to me they got an avail call have possibly been in the running for this? Whose spot got taken? Who, who took their spot here? You know what I mean? I don't see the equivalent on here. I don't see the person where they were like, hmm, should we have this person who hasn't been on since that one season they did in 2006? Or should we have on Leroy? You know, I just don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. So I do think maybe they're humoring people with the availability calls. Or maybe they're changing formats in the ninth inning. That's the other thing. Maybe they're and thinking. people are probably lying too, right? Like, I mean, I know on Survivor, like everyone <laughs> claims they got a call when, uh, you know, you didn't get a call. Is that a thing that people do? Um, so right. on another, uh, some of our other guests who are going to be in town in Denver for Challenge Mania Live which you can get tickets at challengemania.live. She will be maybe at our show. She has a competition that day, but the next day she's going to be working out with Dee at her gym that she just opened, Platform Strength. Emily Schramm. She started on Real World DC. She's a former champion. She hasn't played in a while, but she did do Champs versus Stars. What are your thoughts on her? Another competitor who's just like, I feel like she's, you know, one of these iconic challenge competitors who's just, she's such an amazing physical competitor while also being, you know, having these other, you know, these other gifts, just being great TV, fun to watch. You root for her. She seems like a nice person. I mean, I'm sure like you're all, you know, I'm sure as I'm saying these things about every one of these people, you're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. But, uh, you know, as, as an amateur, I, that she's, I'm, I'm, I love watching her. 
No, she is a, a nice person. D likes to say she's a Disney princess. I say she's like a warrior princess. But she also, I mean, I mentioned it uh, on our uh, Disney warrior princess. Disney warrior princess. <laughs> I mentioned it on our uh, our hundredth episode where we, uh, you know, we were kind of thanking people and we had a bunch of listeners call in and stuff. And I said that like there are a couple people who are really integral in in uh, the launching of this podcast and helping give me advice and stuff like that. And one of them was Emily. And sh- so Emily has like seven of of these businesses that she started over the years. She's got the fitness company. She's got the gym that she opened. She's got her merchandise company. She's got the backpack company. She patented this workout backpack called the impact. You can get those at the impact.com slash mania, 15% off for you guys. Use the code mania, uh, but also a tea company companies that I haven't even heard of. Like she probably has an oregano company. She probably has a pasta company. <laughs> she's just killing it. And like, she literally, you know, she taught me a lot about, you know, the, the idea of, you know, giving away stickers with stuff and keeping people involved and getting the brand out there and stuff like that. So she on so many levels is like way bigger than her role on the challenge and then on top of all that she to me is probably if you had to stack up everyone against each other without all the frills of like are they going to do another season and whatnot to me she's still in her prime she's I mean she's only I mean she's barely 30 years old Um, she hasn't done a season in a while but she clearly it's not like she hasn't done a season in a while so she went back to Wall Street she hasn't done a season in a while and she opened up her own gym and she still does physical competitions every week so her more than anybody I think I would probably favor in any sort of a head-to-head competition with any other woman. Um, and on top of that, as you mentioned, nicest person in the world and also, you know, a great uh, businesswoman as well. So you're, although you are, I think, you know, uh, you, you are sort of trying to, uh, you know, make nice statements about everybody, Stephen. You're, no, you're I'm a fan. If you, if you tell me someone who I don't like, you know, I will definitely be honest because I have, you know, I have nothing to lose. You know, I'm not part of your community. I am community. not naming oh, this person because so I think you will not like her. I'm only naming her because she is our next guest at Challenge Mania Live Denver. Tickets at ChallengeMania.live for June 8th. Kellyanne Judd. Do you remember Kelly? Kellyanne, she started on Real World Sydney. Uh, she was a challenge mainstay for a while, but has not appeared, I believe, since was it Rivals 2 or 3D was her last season? Or Bloodlines? Uh, oh, maybe it was Bloodlines, yeah. Yeah. I liked mm-hmm. her a lot. I actually like, I felt like she, didn't she, she got in like some big fight. Like she was, she felt like, I mean, maybe she felt bullied or something. I'm not remembering the specifics, but like, I, I, I loved Kellyanne. I mean, I, I felt like, uh, whatever antagonism there was towards her from, from that season. And again, like, this is not the most expert analysis. I, I think it was her and Anissa or something like that. I think it oh. got pretty heated. Well, also Johnny, I think, a, I think. I think there was a drink spilled in someone's face. Johnny actually. also made it his mission to bully her on like a season by season basis as well. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But I mean, look, if you haven't been bullied by Johnny, am I right? Were you really on the challenge? Um, okay. Uh, so that's Challenge Mania Live Denver, as I mentioned. ChallengeMania.live for tickets. On June 22nd, we hit the Hollywood Improv for Challenge Mania Hollywood. Tickets available at ChallengeMania.la. We've already talked about Alton Williams, one of our guests. Uh, you heard him on the podcast earlier this week. You spoke about him a little bit, Stephen. What about Veronica Portillo? Because she is an MTV legend, as I like to describe her. She was on one of the first seasons of Road Rules, Semester at Sea. She's done a ton of seasons of The Challenge, I believe, a three-time champion. She's still out there doing it, most recently on The Final Reckoning. You saw her last week out there on the Universal Challenge with Dean Alton. What are your thoughts on who we sometimes call the original challenge goddess, Veronica Portillo. I mean, I was a longtime fan of Veronica's. I'll I'll admit, you know, because now you've, you've, you know, uh, put me on blast for not uh, saying anything negative. I was bummed out that she really didn't put any effort. You know, I mean, I think I've mentioned a few times on this, on this podcast, like how much heart really matters to me. And, you know, it's, it's certainly one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of Derek's and it really felt like she didn't have it on the, on, on her last outing where she didn't seem to put like that much effort into, you know, preparing for it and to like, you know, into competing on it. 
Yeah, you're talking about the final reckoning where her and, and I think a lot of people maybe soured on her because she took CT down with her in that regard. They were. Well, I'm also course, a, a long-term huge huge CT fan, so yeah. Exactly. So it's not even just that she didn't come in and, and represent herself well. She obviously led to CT being eliminated. Now that being said, you blame Veronica. I blame the shitty format because you know it was one of those things where they get sent into Redemption House and just by luck of the draw they never get to compete again. Whereas Paulie and Natalie got to compete 45 times. So it's one of those things where you know. <laughs> We look back on it, and unfortunately, yeah. she was kind of a blip on and, that season. Uh, um, and to be fair, and to be fair, guys, to be fair, uh, I, I, as, as much as I enjoy CT, as much as I appreciate his athletic ability, I still don't know if he's making it across those damn meat things or whatever the hell they were swinging on. So, and I think that came out of his mouth on our podcast. So, you yeah, know, no, he did. He because he was very as we as we talked about it at the time, and I think a lot of people gave him shit for. He was a little bit condescending to her in the moment, right? Uh, and he kind of copped to that when he came on our show. He was on our. Um, what was, was he on our episode 100? Yeah, he was on our, oh no, yeah, what I was talking about before was our one year anniversary episode. Our 100th episode, CT was our guest. And when I brought up Veronica, he completely copped to it. And he was like, oh, you know what, Scotty, you know, I was kind of, you know, you know she's a legend <laughs> of the game. I don't know why I was so mean to her. You know, honestly, Veronica's one of the best. And I, you know, I was an asshole. I was an asshole. Uh, so he really copped to it. That's my CT impression. I try to work into every episode. That was great. Um, but so now that we've got all the shameless plugs out of the way, Challenge Mania Live Denver, June 8th, Challenge Mania Live Hollywood, June 22nd. More dates coming later this summer, but I'll spare you. I want to rapid fire some of the questions we got for you, Stephen, most of which are about Survivor, some about the challenge, and then we'll get out of here with a little bit of Thrones talk if you have the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Anthony says, was there a themed season on Survivor that you would have liked particularly to be a part of, i.e. Blood versus Water, Millennials versus Gen X, Heroes versus Villains, uh, Heroes versus uh, Hustlers versus I uh, forget what the other thing was, um, all that stuff, all these themes. And if there is one, you got to let us know what part of that theme you would have fit into. Well, obviously, I would have liked to have been part of the all-winner season if that ever happens. Uh, but, but, um, you know, but obviously for, for that will, well, that will never happen for me. Uh, you know, I, I, I really thought that a fans versus favorite season, I was really excited about that. And in fact, um, on the season that Cochran won, Survivor Caramoan, I was also in casting for that. And so, I mean, obviously I was Cochran's ultimate, uh, alternate. He was, he was such a great character that there was no question in my mind that they were going to cast him over me. And the thought that they would cast both of us was pretty unlikely. But I mean, part, part of the reason I would want to do that format is I think it would, suit me incredibly well and for very similar reasons that it suited Cochran incredibly well um you know when you have a fans versus favorites cast you know you have 10 new players 10 returning players the new players are basically dead in the water you know it's similar with new players on the challenge where so much of what makes someone good at Survivor is experience playing Survivor, you know, and it's just not, it's so dramatic, the difference between someone who's played one season of Survivor versus someone who's played no Survivor, that the, the those those 10 people, like, there's almost no chance that they're going to win. Um, and and then, you know, and then also I felt like, you know, as with Cochran, I would be entering a, a cast that would, you know, maybe cushion me until I got to the sweet spot. So, um, I, even before um, that specific thing happened, I always said that, like, my ideal would be a fan's versus favorites um, season to be on uh, just because it would it would be most uh, conducive to me winning. I also really wanted to be a villain. You know, I don't think I am a villain on the show, but like in my in my dream, in my fantasy version of myself on the show, I'm a villain. And so it would have been cool to be, in, you know, heroes versus villains as a villain. Now, well, you mentioned about the fans versus favorites. The interesting thing about that is that there are even amounts of, you know, first time players and returnees. What we just saw here on this season is a little bit of a hybrid. We had four returnees. Um, you've had other seasons where they bring in three returnees or, you know, I, I watched a season where it was players that had been injured and evacuated or, and stuff like that. When the numbers aren't in the returnees favorite favor though, it, it seems like the, the, 
the new players have smartened up and it's let's get those people out of there. Would you be hesitant to do a season like that, Stephen? Because it seems like you mentioned being dead in the water when you're coming in and you're playing against a, a you know, a whole other tribe of, uh, experienced players. When you are one of three or four experienced players coming in against a bunch of fresh blood who know that you do have the advantage in all the other ways, but the one advantage, advantage they have is the numbers. Don't you feel like that's the ultimate disadvantage these days? Oh, yeah. And I totally agree with you that it's changed. You know, I think back in the day when they did these seasons, you know, they weren't casting fans of the show. So, again, that like adv- that, that advantage was just tremendous. And until this past season, there had never been a returnee season that didn't have a returnee in the final tribal council. Um, you know, even if it was just two people coming in, one of them always made the final tribal. And this season was really notable because, you know, four returnees, not one of them made the final tribal. And I think it was because they're casting fans. The fans have wised up and they realize that they have to get these returning players out or they're just going to get smoked. So, yeah, I would not like the season. And I also think that wouldn't really suit my type. You know, like they when when it is just like one or two people coming in, they really look to you for experience. They're going to be like, Stephen, how do you build a shelter? I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to build a shelter. So like, I don't think I could really contribute in that in that capacity anyway. Uh, this is a question we often get when we have a, a guest who's, uh, either appeared on another show or, 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 you know, a challenger who came from Big Brother. Uh, people often ask this question. Irving wants to know, what challengers would you like to see on Survivor or do you think would do particularly well on Survivor? And which survivors would you like to see on the challenge and would pot- potentially do well in that format? I mean, this is something I've thought about like way too much. And, uh, you know, uh, just like, because they are like my two favorite shows. I mean, obviously, well, so first of all, like I'm a huge West fan. Um, you know, and I listen to your guys long podcast, uh, multi-part podcast. And, you know, I know that you guys have bad history, but, or, but which seems to be resolved. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, I think West would do amazing on the, um, on the, on survivor. I think he, you know, the social politics of it all, I think he would be really, really good at it. I mean, obviously Johnny is another person who kind of has both the physical and the social uh, element really, you know, down really well. I mean, I want to see Cam anywhere, so I'm happy, happy to see her on there as well. Um, you know, someone like Emily too, you know, I think CrossFit is a really great, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe she doesn't do CrossFit now, but uh, she did CrossFit back in the day, and I think like that sort of activity is really, uh, really useful for the, I'm trying to think of like other great you know, so we, we, uh, whenever the survivor question comes up, a lot of people go to two older challengers who haven't been on in a while. So it's, it makes sense why they'd be far from your memory. But the two people are Kahuta and Abram, both of which are very handy, spend a lot of time outside in their, in their day to day. They actually build, uh, I believe film sets and, and they do a lot of construction work. And as we know about Kahuta, he's an outdoorsman and Abe as well. So that they're kind of a little bit far removed from the challenge to be kind of front of mind. But as far as the survivor, element to it, I'm more comfortable thinking that they would do well in those elements than say, you know, even someone who was necessarily physically fit like Emily, you know, she might need, need her meal prep, you know? Well, right. And, and so I actually think that would be a real <laughs> challenge for a lot of the challengers is that like just the total starvation. I mean, you know, you, the guys, you know, you guys are all, you know, men and women just like incredibly fit. And I think, you know, like pe- we've seen people who have a lot, who have a lot of body mass not do well on Survivor because, you know, you go into atrophy so fast that, it, you know, you, you just, you're just not getting the protein and a lot of like really big guys, especially, um, really fade really quickly. Um, I think Kohada would be amazing. Um, I'm actually a long-term Ab- Abram fan, you know, even from, I remember watching him in his first season of road rules and I, I loved him there and I've loved him on the challenge. 
challenge. Um, I loved him on the island, uh, one of my favorite seasons, nice. the survivoriness uh, of it all. But I, I don't know. He might be like too, you know, too out there. You know, I think he might be too erratic. Where you know, Survivor, it's so much like who's who's being who's disturbing camp life, and I can see Abram being problematic in that way. I feel like 2019 Abram though is kind of settled down a bit, and I yeah. feel like when you remove the alcohol that the challenge had, because I don't know if you know this, but on the island they got like very little food, but they always had beer, as Derek has told us. Um, <laughs> so it's you know, but on, we had on, wine so, and beer and rice. <laughs> yeah, wine, beer, and rice. Whereas oh you guys God. only have rice. Um, but but I want to ask a question about you know something you alluded to about the all winter season. Uh, Zach wants to know: Are you allowed to talk about season forty? If so, do you have a favorite to win? Rumors are that forty will be an all winter season. Um, they are, I think, you know, as I said, they they film these things one or two seasons in advance. I think that people are starting to leave and this and that, and there are you know spoilers out there and whatnot. I forget what you guys do over at RHAP. Are you guys you do you guys stay away completely from cast spoilers? We try to over here. We try to wait for them to announce it, and we know that a large portion of our audience does their digging and finds that stuff out, and that's all fine and good. We just don't want to be the people to spoil it for the large portion of our audience that prefers to find out from that random People magazine reveal in the middle of July. Um, so, like, how do you guys deal with that? Are you allowed to talk about that? And even like broadly, assuming it's all winners, I think we know people who could be in the running for it. Who among the past winners would you consider to be a favorite to win one of those seasons where you're playing against the best to ever do it? I actually, Steven, just to go back on stuff that we were talking about before, I actually hate it that he mentions that there's spoilers out there. How about that? Mm, I don't want to wow, treat that's people. extreme. Yeah, right? Exactly. So you see the, the, the dichotomy here. It's, it's like, like saying, oh, if you don't, if you don't look for spoilers, uh, go ahead and go find them. You can go look for them now. Well, you're going to hate my follow-up then to this question. <laughs> but, go, but, go, but go ahead, Steven, to this one about, about, about an all-winter season hypothetically and, and so how we, much I you mean, guys are open to talking so about. So why don't you tell us what the spoilers are saying? There, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just give us that. Well, that's what I'm sort of asking. It's a two-part question. It's like <laughs> it's like how much of this is sort of common knowledge, how much of it is borderline spoiler territory, and how much do you guys feel okay talking about it? And then and then you can say, oh, we don't like to talk about it, whatever. But since you briefly alluded to it before, you know, hypothetically, if they do a, an all-winter season, by definition, we can we know whether or not they're the entire cast. We know who's won previous seasons of Survivor. So I guess I'm also asking, what previous winner could you see winning in the environment where they're competing against all winners? Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, first of all, to answer the first part of the question, I, you know, Rob definitely avoids it, avoids it. You know, he, I mean, maybe, maybe he'll like tease it a little bit, but like, you know, because everyone is reading these things, you know, and I, I think with like the survivor with their RHAP fan base, you know, they are really plugged into the rumors. And I think there's was somehow with, with, um, survivor, there has actually managed to become uh, to, to, uh, a firewall between like casting spoilers and uh, actual show spoilers. And I think, you know, so, so we do, I feel like people are a little bit more loose with the casting spoilers, you know, and, and really hands off. Like no one wants to know the show spoilers, but I mean, obviously there's, there's some people, but I think within the broader community as, as a whole, um, I, we, we typically don't talk about the stuff, but to your point, you know, like, yes, obviously like we're familiar, you know, the, the speculation of who, you know, an all winter season has been going on for years and years. And it would be like, you know, more than artificial to like, to not even talk about it because it's, you know, more rumored to be in the mix. Um, so, so I've always been a huge Kim fan. She won survivor 24, which is often considered to be one of the more boring seasons, partially because she was such a dominant player. And I've met a lot of these guys, you know, there's, there's a survivor community as I know there's a challenge community and 
with every survivor contestant and with every reality contestant, I mean, I'm a little bit like on my guard because I know that these are people who have been selected to be charming. You know, these are people who have been selected because they're gregarious, you know, and, and certainly with the survivor contestants, they are all a little bit devious, you know, especially the ones who are fresh off the island. You can tell that they're like a little bit manipulative, but even being on my guard and having a, you know, with, with Kim, she is so incredibly charming that it just like, it's, it, it's, you know, exceeds all of the other charm of the, of the winners I've met. And the other thing I'll say is that she She's a little plugged in. I do think there's kind of like a cool crowd among the among the winners. And I think and she's plugged into that, but she's not necessarily at the heart of it. So I think she could be entering such a hypothetical season with a in a really good game position. And you know, Jeremy Collins, who I played with, is someone else who I think is and it would be in a similar role where he's not necessarily like the biggest target. He's not like a Boston Rob target, but so so he's got a little bit of cover, but he is like plugged into that world and he's like charming enough and physical enough because you never want to be the best, but you do want to you know you want to be able to like be like just below the best. So like you can like follow the best and like wait for them to get eliminated and then kind of, you know, have your sprint right at the end. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And, and it's okay D to talk about because hypothetically it's one of those things where whether they're doing it or not, I mean, it's just like talking about how cool it would be to have an all winter season. Uh, what's interesting though is like, so, early so on that's, sorry, go ahead. But, but that, that's my question is in this all winter season that you're talking about, is that already like, well, season uh, 40 out- is coming up. So people, you know how, when there's a big banner season, like dirty 30, they decided to bring back some of the dirtiest players in the game ever. Like, uh, uh, like Alicia. Right. Um, but so on, you know, season 40, people are wondering, is this the time to go to all winners? Now there's been 40 seasons of survivor or 39 up until this point, they're not going to have 39 people on a season. So I'm sure some people will say no, some people won't be approached. There have been, I think there's been one repeat winner. Um, so, so basically it's one of those things where you, you wonder how you do this cast because to me, early on in Survivor for the first, you know, 20, 25 seasons, a lot of people got to play a lot of times. You know, a lot of people between yeah. the fans versus favorites, the heroes versus villains, this sort of, uh, Rob and Russell getting to kind of be on a season together and coach and Ozzy and this, that. And they, they did that, this to where, you know, a lot of the winners have played more than once. A lot of them, you could argue, got to play until they won. Um, but so, so a lot of the newer <laughs> players are sort of less interesting because we've seen them more recently, but they're the ones who you kind of wonder like, okay, maybe it's good to see them play again. The controversial one for me is there's no one I want to see play again more than Chris Underwood. And I feel like they yeah. would probably look at him and say, ah, oh, we can't really waste a spot on him. We got away with murder here. Let's just, let's, let's quit while we're ahead. But he's the guy who I want to see play a full game and see what happens because he got to win with playing the, the least full game ever. I don't know if they're going to waste a spot on him. I know he's de- probably not necessarily necessarily, you know, he's not going to move the needle enough and maybe they're not going to give him a spot over some of the other, you know, guys that, you know, people talk about and are clamoring for. But as far as recent players go, I'd rather see him play again than Wendell, no offense, who I loved, or Ben, no offense, who I loved, or even, you know, Mike Holloway, who I liked. Like, I'd like to see Chris Underwood play again. I, I totally agree. I think like to have someone out there who has so much to prove and it's like a similar reason why like, you know, I think a lot of people aren't Michelle fans. I would love to see Michelle play again because, yep. you know, she's, you know, what, what, a, or, or, or someone like Sophie who everyone was like coach was robbed, you know, uh, you know, what a crazy experience to go out 
play Survivor, you know, you come home, you're like, holy shit, I won Survivor. Like, you know, you, you don't know for sure, but you've got a pretty good idea. And you're like, I've just done this incredible accomplishment, this huge cultural feat. People are going to be losing their minds. All my friends are going to be so proud. And then like the, then what happens is like, you know, the entire internet shits all over you because you, you didn't deserve it. Like, it's like, and then those people I feel like have so much to prove. And I, I like, I, I would be really, really excited, um, to see them. And I think you're right. Like Chris has got to be one of those people who just like, the internet exploded when he won the show. Like, of course he's like, you know, he's going to like play, you know, triply hard to prove he deserves his shot. I, I think you're right, Scott, that the, the people who have played numerous times have a huge advantage. And I think one of the biggest advantages, advantages that anyone has playing survivor is if you have been voted out before. And I think that's something that not a lot of people really know. You know, the winners almost by definition haven't been voted out before unless they're multiple, you know, multiple season players. And, you know, you get this like spidey sense from having been voted out before um that that is like you know you can't really replicate from never having been a target and it's something that makes the challenge so interesting to me because like you know derek i'm really curious like i mean people who have played 10 seasons like you must become so savvy about when you're you're in the crosshairs yeah uh you know it's either you learn from your mistakes or you keep making the same mistakes (laughs) you know so like yeah eventually you learn that um, what's the, what's, what's the thing that Darrell told me? The advice that Darrell gave us, um, on Fresh Meat, I believe. He goes, he goes, he goes, mouth shut, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut. And he kind of did it in like these, like, you know, with, with hand movements, like to a little kid, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut. And that's how you play the game to win the game. Right. Um, but, you know, some people think that being loud and obnoxious is going to win the game for you. You know, that's not how that's not how you win the game. That might be how you uh, get another spot in the game. That's not how your life is going to be easier in the game is by to continuously put a target on your back for a multitude of different reasons. The way you win the game is to play quietly you know and uh now there's a difference you know do you play for camera time or do you play to win you know it's so interesting so i mean i I could go in there and pick fights with you know tons of people and maybe get asked back every single time because you know i i know how to but back in the day that wasn't the case back in the day derek you picked a fight with jordan at a reunion show for a season that you weren't even fully on recently yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. that's the thing, I don't pick fights, they just happen, right? Like Jordan, Nelson, Johnny, oh, yeah, Brad, it just goes, yeah, it just, I feel, sometimes I just feel like I'm a, like a, what's, what's, what did I call, what did I call our names? Like I'm a, like I'm like a landmine, like I'm an accidental landmine, you know yeah, what I mean? You're a, you're a drama <laughs> magnet, like, my friend. I mean, look, when, when you got in that fight with Nelson, I think there's not, there's not one person in the United States who wasn't clamoring to see Nelson have to partner with Shane. After that, <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Oh, the Nelson and Shane, like that was a that was an incredible match. After they after. did, they 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 got uh, they were pretty good, and then they got ousted from a purge challenge where it was the one where uh, one of them, I think it was Nelson, was going across whatever plank they were going across in slow motion, 
and Nelson's two left feet got him. Yeah, it's like a backwards, um, like like a stair, like stair, not stairmaster, but a treadmill, right? Wasn't it like a backwards going tra- treadmill or something? Anyway, whatever. Something yeah, like they that. beat they beat Brad and Kyle on that one. Oh, okay, okay, think, right? Is that what happened? No, you're right. Yes, yeah, yeah. we uh, we would love to have you on again, Stephen. I want to end with Game of Thrones. So before we do that, so everyone can hop off if they either don't like Game of Thrones because we always hear those people. Those people love telling you that they don't watch Game of Thrones. Hunter today actually had a Facebook post that was entirely on brand. He had – it was a, a photo or a screen grab from the show The Ranch with Ashton Kutcher on Netflix, and he said, screw Game of Thrones. This is the only series I care about. And I was just like, that is the most <laughs> on-brand brand. post ever, Hunter. <laughs> um, but so before we get to Game of Thrones, I'll let you plug anything you want to plug now so our full audience takes it in, and then we'll, we'll get out of here talking about the amazing season eight of Game of Thrones, which had no holes whatsoever in it. Yeah, I um I didn't come with anything great to plug. So follow me on Twitter at uh, Stephen Fishback. That's S T E P H E N F I S H B A C H, and that's that's all. I'm always amazed. I mean, like you guys on the challenge. Maybe it's because you play season after season, and maybe it's just because the MTV audience. Like you guys get so many Twitter followers. It's wild. Oh, dude, I actually it's funny. I think about and I was not on the challenge, but uh, as far as I do follow this stuff because I I follow Survivor players and I follow Survi- uh, challenge players, and what's very interesting thing is like I'll click on like a survivor winner like Wendell and right. and and I'll be like oh like he has less followers than I do and he's yeah. one survivor and I like what, what what did I win you know Lindsay's heart is all I want like I you know I just don't you know so it's it's interesting to me like to me being a fan of survivor like I went to your know-it-alls I asked Wendell and Dom to take a photo with me I wanted a photo of me and those two who are the first people to ever tie on survivor and have to go to a tie-breaking vote with Laura like they to me are like you know huge stars in the survivor world and to me it's like you do the math and survivor no offense to the challenge of being on mtv but it's like cbs has a lot of prestige you know uh prime time the numbers are great for the show it's on its 40th season i sort of subconsciously thought like any winner of survivor is going to have like you know dozens and dozens of thousands of followers and that's not the case i clicked on parvati's instagram she's got like thirty thousand followers and i liken it sort of uh, equally as surprising when you think of some of the household names in the history of the challenge who kind of missed the social media wave a coral or a cyrus or someone like that or a mark long and you're like wow this isn't directly correlated to how much of a role they've played in the history of this show um and with survivor i talked we talked to davy about this and he actually he thought it out pretty well and he said it's the demographic he said that yeah. you know tons of people are watching survivor but those people don't have instagram you know like my grandma watches survivor she doesn't have instagram you know she doesn't have twitter whereas the challenge the demo is that 18 to 35 who are living on instagram and even younger people than that they're living on Twitter. And the minute they, the minute they see you, they follow you on those social medias. Now, that being said, the recurring element of the challenge lends itself to social media being a big part of it. Cause as you said, Stephen, we've had, you know, vendettas be described as well. Uh, uh, Brad tweeted something weird to me on Instagram and now him and Tony are vendettas or, or, you know, this, they'll read this tweet that someone said at the reunion because there's the recurring element to it. Um, since there's no recurring element to survivor for about 90% of the, the talent pool, no offense, like once they're not on the show anymore and when they're on the show, it's not like they're putting their Twitter at Twitter handle under it. You kind of have this small window where they might go on our app and you might think, oh, yeah, I wonder what their Twitter is. But other than that, then they can kind of, you know, they kind of fade back into obscurity. Um, so it really is sad, actually. I, I think it's sad that, the, you know, that Wendell doesn't have the amount of followers you would need to get like a mat, a mattress sponsorship. You know what I mean? But someone who was on <laughs> Are You The One does, you know, that that kind of makes me sick. <laughs> well, it's funny. I think I mean, I think Davey's right about the. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. 
Uh, no, it's the the big brothers are the big are the big winners. Yeah, big brother right. is really huge. Yeah, because well, so they're, they're on TV five days a week for the yeah. entire summer, where nobody's doing anything uh-huh. other than watching Big Brother and going on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, well, and I, then yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. After you, after you. Uh no, and then the, then I I didn't realize I thought survivors were gonna be the same as so I took a I took a big break from uh, uh, social media for probably I don't know three four five years I don't even know what it was um, I left Twitter with sixty thousand followers I have yet to get that back in my return to I don't know TV land he stupidly or whatever didn't just suspend it. his account he like actually like oh you deactivated it. It? Okay. Yeah. if you knew if you, if you knew what my life was like at that time. You would have just said, fuck it too. Yeah. Um, fuck everything. And that's essentially what I did. Goodbye. Bye, yeah. everybody. Um, so, uh, so I'm still not there yet for my second round. I'm at like 54 or something like that. Um, but I, but I noticed that, um, you know, and are you the ones really, uh, they're not, they don't, they weren't booming either. You know what I mean? It's these multiple shows that you, you go back on over and over and over and over again that, that tallies it up. You know what I mean? So it's not like, you know, it's, uh, you know, and, and are, are you making like waves through every tweet? That's another question too. You know, it's not, you can do a tweet. You I, I tweet, you know, multiple times throughout the day, but they're not like booming. Like, you know, as far as like, you know, when West tweets, or when like Angela Babbage tweets or something like that, like they hit, you know, I mean, they're like home runs, like every tweet people are like, Oh my God, what are they saying? You know? So I think there's a difference between, you know, how I don't know. You've got a lot of followers on Twitter. What are you talking about? No, well, Steven does, but mainly probably from the podcasting, right? Yeah. It's, it's as much from the podcasting as anything. Like it was, um, you know, it, 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 and, and, you know, also I was on twice and I mean, it was funny. Like I was, you know, I think a lot of the issue too, is that a lot of, survivor viewers yes like demographically they're not even on these social networks i think they're also not even like aware of the idea and that's related to the demographics like of following the reality contestants on on social networks and it was funny like during uh cochran season Karen Moen, he had a confessional like where he like mentioned like staying on twitter all day and like within 15 minutes he gained like no joke thirty thousand twitter followers and then you know by and and as a result of that like everyone else in the survivor like i think i gained ten thousand twitter followers that day you know i mean it was just like Oh, people were like, oh, you can follow survivors on Twitter. And, and uh, so the similar thing happened with uh, the finale where Cochran also like made another like reference to his like Twitter, like Twitter. And he gained like another like 15,000, 50,000 Twitter followers. And, and again, like it's like, it, you know, it has overflow. So I think it is. And for me, it was it's probably been largely the podcast. You know, like there's no reason why I have, you know, more than than Kelly Wentworth. But I, other than just the, the podcast. And I'm sure like good. Good for yeah. you. This might be a hard question to answer, but something you just said made me think of this. So the challenge, they want their cast members to have huge social media followings. They almost reverse engineer it. They bring in now people like Kyle and Bear and Georgia who have a million followers going into it. Even though those followers, none of them live in New Jersey, they're just, they want the followings, you know? So, yeah. so they want that. Survivor, I wonder, and tell me if in your travels or conversations, is, is it possible they almost don't want um, maybe, maybe the people that they kind of do hang their hats on and the people that they kind of get back in the rotation and the, the people they diagnose as heroes and villains and this and that. And you can kind of see who Jeff starts catering to in a reunion and who's really speaking to him. Everyone else though, the people who say are part of a season and don't even get talked to at the reunion or, or whatnot, or maybe they don't really make waves. This year. Is it in survivor's best interest for them not to, not to really develop a following, not on the show in a weird way? 
way? And have, have you ever thought about that? That's interesting. I, you know, I haven't thought of, I mean, that, that's, that is really interesting. And I do think like the fact that it's all new players every season, like they kind of have this like sense of like, we want to be onto the next thing. Like if you're not part of our, like, you know, if you're not Boston Rob, you know, and you know, maybe, maybe we, maybe they do have like a feeling of like, we don't want, you know, our, our fan base like fixated on what, you know, third off from some random past season, which I'm not going to name, you know, because then people will put a, an actual person to that name. You know, they, they want like the, the new thing to be the thing. And some of that could just be cultural, you know? And, and I do think that in recent years, they've really become more focused on the live tweeting. I mean, Jeff Probst was, was actually uh, one of the trailblazers in live tweeting. I think he was possibly the first TV host to live tweet his actual, his own show. Um, and, you know, so I think, and, and I do think in recent years too, they've, they've become like a little bit more open to it, but it might just be, you know, like, like, like Davey said, it, it might just be demographic and cultural, you know, like the MTV audience is by definition, young people, it's 18 to 25 and 18 to 34. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. We're 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 fascinated by it, obviously, because by nature of doing a podcast, we're constantly like you know tagging the social handles of our guests. So like, I do subconsciously retain the information of how many followers they have. It's not something I'm judging them on necessarily, but I do kind of keep a mental checklist of it because it just when someone jumps out at me as an outlier, is like, oh, they have less than I thought, or oh, they have more than I thought, and then there's kind of everyone in the middle. You know what I mean? Like anybody who has like between twenty and a hundred thousand, I couldn't tell you one which from the other. You know, but when I look at some and they have less than 10 and they were like top three on Survivor, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's weird. Yeah. I'm going to make a mental note about that. When I see someone and I've never heard of them and they have a million, I'm like, okay, where is this person coming from? What is this, what is reality TV in the UK? This person has more followers than like, you know, a superstar athlete over here. That makes no sense to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing to follow. Um, so yeah, so let's, so, so I want you one more time to plug the podcast that you are still doing, I would assume, in the off season of Survivor and now even though Game of Thrones is no longer with us you're still going to do uh paraphrase right yeah well thank you i mean it's it's like the most niche of all niche podcasts but you know i think in every community there are some people who are interested in writing and who are working themselves to be writers so what i did you know i myself am, am trying to write a novel so you know and and i you know was struggling with how do i open this thing like how do i start like what's what's a more essential question than like how do i begin my book so i thought you know like i could in, in order to learn i could just ask the people who have done it so well. So I started interviewing novelists, you know, some of my favorite novelists of all time, as well as some debut novelists about the openings to their books and the different choices they made, you know, like why they chose certain things. So it's super niche. Like, you know, if you're, if you're a writer, if you're trying to write, like you might love it, it might give you inspiration. Um, I end every episode with a writing prompt and some of them have been really awesome. And I've also gotten some incredible writers. I, you know, some of my heroes, some amazing new, new authors as well. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's at paraphrasepodcast.com. You know, I never expect it to be a big podcast. You know, for me, it's just a, a truly a passion project and a way for, for me to learn myself. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. 
Awesome. Well, speaking of books, that's a natural segue to talk about what is probably the most talked about series of books I can remember. And it's a series of books that not everyone has even read, but it comes into play when we're talking about the biggest television event of all time, Game of Thrones, specifically this last season of Game of Thrones. And, and you and Rob, I, for, I forget, was this the first season that you guys did this or, or were you guys doing it back? I mean, I guess it was two years ago now that season seven uh, ran. Uh, were you guys doing it back then too? We did season seven. I can't remember if we did season. We might have done season six. Like it's hard to remember, um, you know, all the podcasts. Uh, but we we definitely did season seven. So they just aired on HBO this fantastic uh, two hour documentary called The Last Watch, I believe. Uh, and I recommend anybody who li- who watches Game of Thrones or watched it, whether you were soured on it or not, watch this documentary. It's it's fantastic. It's probably the best behind the scenes documentary I've ever seen. But the fact that I was one of the people who had a sour taste in my mouth about it, this I'm not going to say it completely. Re- Removed it, but this, I mean, not only does it completely shine a light on all the brilliant, you know, crewmen and, uh, you know, and crew women and craftsmen and the special effects and the makeup and the extras and all that stuff. And it barely even, I mean, they don't even talk to DB Weiss and, and, uh, David Benioff. So it was the perfect kind of bow to put on this thing. Cause it did kind of remind me and reinvigorate me. Uh, and a lot of the stuff they show, a lot of the behind the scenes was stuff leading up to this season, actually finishing. And they show the table read of them, uh, the cast of uh, the majority of which had, had read it, but some of which hadn't even read it. So you actually see on camera Kit Harrington reading the po- the part of the script where he finds out he kills Daenerys in the in the penultimate wow. episode or in the final episode. Um, you see the entire room applaud when they all collectively read the fact that Arya kills the Night King. You see Varys, the actor who plays Varys, whose name escapes me, fold up his script and kind of push it forward, and you can tell he's kind of upset when when uh, Amelia Clark reads the line Dracarys, you know, essentially burning wow. Varys, and it's it's brilliant, it's captivating to watch all these people sort of you know taking this in in. Re- real time at a table read, which you wonder, it's like, I mean, you know, seeing it play out all the effects and everything, we were kind of annoyed by it. Watching these people who had like poured their hearts and souls into these characters and everything over the course of these years, watching them experiencing it and seeing even subtly the frustrations you could tell they had with how this thing played out. Um, that's a really long-winded intro into me asking, you know, I, 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 again, I listen to your podcast, so I have the luxury of having gotten your thoughts and, and Rob's thoughts on, on the season as a whole. I know Derek was disappointed by large aspects of it, particularly the finale, as was I. But I think something that's getting lost here is that people are kind of throwing all of us in the same category of people who thought that the way it ended up with, you know, Bran on the throne or the fact that, you know, uh, Daenerys went all mad queen or da- that Daenerys died or this or that is what we're annoyed with. I'm annoyed with the journey getting there and how abrupt it was and how rushed it was. Uh, there's a world in which I'm okay with the way that all these character arcs ended, just not the way that it played out. So how do you feel about it for our audience? Let everybody know, because you do watch the show very closely. You cover it on your own podcast. Explain how you felt about uh, season eight here of Game of Thrones. Well, I think that's a great, you know, prelude that you gave in terms of like, you know, thinking of all the craftspeople, all the effort that went into it, you know, because I mean, ultimately my key takeaway was, you know, if I get to watch a week of, you know, 90, 90 minutes a week of amazing fantasy adventure, like I'm cool with that, you know, like I can nitpick it to, to death, but you know, I think it was such a, a pleasure and like a gift to be able to watch this incredibly, you know, movie length, you know, beautifully produced, you know, amazingly acted spectacle every week and I think that really is like you know and maybe with a little bit more distance from like the rawness of you know that feeling 
feeling of like this didn't end exactly as I would have liked it. You know, I feel like more like warmth and, you know, warmth towards it um, than, than I do necessarily like frustration. I mean, yeah, like my biggest complaints were the same as yours. Like, I think those character arcs are good. Like on paper, like all of those plot points work for me. And I think like even Bran on the throne, like that worked for me. But like it doesn't work for me because, you know, with like, well, Tyrion gave this speech about stories and like for some reason Who has Grey a better Wormland. story than Bran the Broken? And they're all like, yeah, okay, we're good. Like, you're right. That him, he's the king of us all. Like, we fought for years and years about this. So, but like, you know, stories, like, we're, we're with you, you know, and like, and Grey Worm, who was like seconds before was like, you're not allowed to speak is now like, yeah, go ahead. Like, make this, make this pitch. And you know, like, I, there's just so many logical inconsistencies. And it's not like, I, I really do think it's not about nitpicking. It's like this show, the whole point of this show was getting you invested in this decision. And then for them to kind of like yada yada it was, I felt like a little bit of a betrayal of the entire premise and a lot of their emotional investment of the, of the past number of years. Now I totally agree with you. Like I, I, I like in my mind, if they had just done an entire, like one episode about just the politics behind that decision to like, who's going to be the King, who's going to sit on the throne. Like, I think that could have been a really cool way, you know, because like one of the other problems I have too is, you know, Sansa is like, Oh yeah. You know what? I'm actually not going to be ruled by you. Like, why wouldn't any of the other people say that? You know, why wouldn't the Greyjoys say that? You know, the whole thing with the Iron Islands is like, they want to be independent. You know, same with Dorne. Why are the Dorne people not like, yeah, you know, me too. Like, I also don't want to be ruled by you, you know, random child who has come out of nowhere. Um, so I, I did feel like the logical inconsistency of that, you know, really could have been solved just by more time. You know, like uh, I, I have this like a whole, you know, this whole episode of my head of like all the politicking and like really getting to see how this decision is made. Um, and so I, I think that that hits, you know, hits my overall feelings of the season, too, where there was just like amazing character moments. You know, the second episode of the season was just like which was the one right before the big battle for Winterfell. When they're all D, just, like, yeah, that was my favorite episode and D's least favorite episode. Oh, really? Really? Why didn't you like that. it? You think it was boring? Which more one? Of an, you, you, the, he's talking about the one where they basically were all getting ready for the battle, where like Brienne got knighted and they sat around. Oh, yeah, and they're singing songs, yeah. kumbaya and all that <laughs> shit. Yep. Yeah. I think I turned it off at that point. I was like, I'm going to finish watching this tomorrow. I'm too tired. And I've never <laughs> done that with Game of Thrones ever. I was like, you know what? There's eight minutes left in this episode. I think I'm just going to go to sleep now. If you could bottle up the tomorrow. testosterone, <laughs> if you could bottle up the testosterone that flows through the collective veins of DB Weiss and David Benioff and turned into a person, it would be Dara Kaczynski. So, so like episode three. I don't know, I don't know what any of that means, but yeah. It means I'm like ready. episode three, because a lot of people do say that this show, when it, when it became, you know, further removed from George R. R. Martin's very detailed, you know, very massive scope where every, you know, all these character arcs were so lengthy and all these moments were so well thought out. When it became kind of removed from that and it really was about the bigness of the show, the epicness of the show and, and D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, the two executive producers of the series, really took the reins. It became more about the spectacle of it and the documentaries that not just the two hour doc I just mentioned, but every episode of the season except the finale had a, a documentary showing you the making of the episode that ranged from about 20 to 40 minutes. And those, to me, were better than the episodes themselves because they showed you all that went into making these episodes because you could tell that that's really what they cared more about was the – how many articles did you read over the course of the last year and a half about the 55-day night shoot that was – you know caused that uh, episode three? And then we watch the episode and all anyone wants to talk about is the fact that nobody can see it. So it's like maybe yeah. you should have snuck a day shoot in there or two, you know, but they were so <laughs> caught up on all the night shoots and being up at night in the darkness and whatnot. D, of course, loved that episode. He, you know, you had no qualms with it whatsoever. 
And it was cool too. You know, I mean, like, listen, I was one of the people who like literally had no idea what was going on because I couldn't see them. But like, what? there was so, there was a lot of like cool. I was like in it. Wow. I, I I think my TV was like not. I think the, the settings on my TV were not uh, right. I need to rewatch that episode in like a dark room, with uh, the bright TV. You guys just aren't as war torn as I am. <laughs> you, you 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 sympathize with all the battle scars. Yeah, well, he, uh, equally, I think you also like the episode where Daenerys goes AWOL and, and burns down the whole city because, again, that was another visual spectacle of it where, you know, I'll, I'll admit, like, if I was watching I was, that, you like that well, too, I was right? like, I mean, I was like, you fucking bitch. I mean, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, like, for me, the emotions that I was feeling on so many of those scenes, like, I could feel them in person. Yeah. I was like, I could put myself, like, I'm there, I'm this... Like this burning child. No, you're not going to burn the child. Oh my gosh. You burned the child. It is. It's still alive. The child is still alive. You know what I mean? And then, and then, you know, Arya, Arya escapes and then she comes back and there goes the mom with her child. Essentially the mom tried to save Arya and Arya, you got her fucking burned yeah. her and her kid. What the fuck? You know, you idiot. What are you doing? You should have stayed hidden. They were right. You were wrong. So what did you not like about it? Because it sounds like you liked a lot. I mean, like they I lost him, they lost episode, him at the way. finale. What did you not like <laughs> yeah. about the finale, D? Well, look, the, the, emo- the emotions that it was able to bring out of me, like, yeah. the, like the raw feelings, you know, of like disaster. I think that, you know, you, you, you don't do that. You can't do that in movies. You can't. It may, you can mainly be like, ah, oh, this is fake. You know, ah, uh, this is fake. The dragon, it's not real. No, the fucking kid just got burned. You know that? I, that that's a burning child. Arya's, yeah. it's Arya's fault. You know, should have stayed in the fucking hole. You know, like you don't feel that in you know everyday movies or TV shows. Like you just you don't get that. So what you know from from that end, I thought it was compelling. You know, from that end, I thought it was <clears throat> something you can't see anywhere else this is game of thrones this is this is what the show is all about it's about the the unexpected and you know for me the unexpected happened which i hated you know i wanted i i wanted daenerys to be up there on the throne even though i thought she was gonna you know eventually try to kill john you know um like i wanted her to get there at some point and then i wanted john to figure out you know I wanted everyone else to figure out how John was going to be king. You know, maybe he shouldn't have, maybe he wasn't the one to kill her. Of course. No, I hate all that. The rest of, I mean, the rest of like the storyline and, and all that stuff that you talked about, Scott, like I hated. So episode, hated episode six is where they lost you, right? Cause correct me if I'm wrong. You did. Cause I remember we spoke after and you were upset, right? So you, so you didn't like where they went with it in the last episode. So, right? so here, so here's my, here's my final thought on the game of Thrones finale. I think that you would have to be a fucking idiot to end Game of Thrones. I don't think Game of Thrones is over. The writer, the magician, the master, the, the, the master of the masterpiece didn't write this. This is other people rushing a project and having to put out a product and get it done. Yes, yeah, Scott says it took him two years. It could have figured out. Well, the guy didn't write it. The guy that wrote everything else didn't write it. You know, so in due time. When he figures his shit out, like he's going to write something and 20 years down the line, you know, like 
all these other plots, all these other like John becoming like a wildling or leading the wildling world or whatever, like that's gonna be a storyline. Brand's gonna have his storyline in Winterfell. Arya's gonna have her story. You can go anywhere with these. So you think they're gonna Force Awakens this, where this is this was Star Wars, but then in ten, twenty years, whatever, someone's gonna really you know give us the the future of these storylines. It'll come back either when we're old. This shit will come back and we'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. We'll be like 60, 70 years old. Like, oh, Game of Thrones is back. You know, I remember that. Like, it, it may not even take that long, you know, but yeah. you'd have to be a fool. All these HBO execs are, were probably like, this show is not over. I don't understand this, how they let. If uh, it was over, guys, if it was over, John would be the king and it, it would all be, you know, uh, you know, it would all be happy. And then it's over. It's done. Yes. Well, I don't know. That, I don't know that that's necessarily true because I do think that they ended it this way because I I do think George R. R. Martin did give the broad strokes of what he was at least at one point planning to have his his book series end with, and they just kind of. I mean, he's going to do it in two fifteen hundred page or fifteen thousand page whatever it is books, uh, and and it's going to be really well thought out and planned. They rushed it into six episode arc of a of a season. However, that being said. Someone on a podcast, I forget which one it was because I listen to so many Game of Thrones podcasts, said that George R. R. Martin just had the most expensive focus group ever for his books. <laughs> like he's watching this play out and maybe he's sitting there and he's like, you know what? Maybe John doesn't end up with the wildlings after that. You know, after America just completely shat on that. You know, maybe I do need to finesse the Daenerys thing a little longer. Um, but to, are you a book reader as well of, of the, the series, Stephen? Yeah, I read I read the books. I mean, some of them like quite some time ago. So, you right. know, I'm a little so bit rusty. I'm like a middle a guy where it's like I'm I listen to so many Game of Thrones podcasts and I talk to so many book readers that I'm like well aware of the the differences and the characters that were left out and stuff. And D is a complete just show watcher. He's a watches every episode once, can barely actually identify most characters by names. He has to say like the guy with the thing, you know. But that's what people love about hearing us talk about Game of Thrones. But at that but with that being said, but with that being said, I used to back when i was working in the oil field um for about a year in my new position um every monday i my boss would actually be reading the book at the same time where uh where the show was oh wow that's smart that's fun so it was it was the coolest thing it was like i had book club for the first time in my life and it was at work so for the first like hour hour and a half of the day like on the clock like we were comparing and contrasting where he was at in the book and where I was at in the show and they were, they were the same. So like you were saying, some of the characters were left out. Um, he would like kind of be like, Oh, grayscale. And this is what happened during, you know, this time. And you know, there's another player and this might happen. So like, you know, he, like he would be kind of spoiling some stuff, but at the same time, you know, I, I would be spoiling stuff for him and it was like, you know, we were literally like finding the middle ground. It was, it was the coolest fucking thing ever. I swear to God. Um, because we didn't know what was going to happen next week. We didn't know if what he just told me was going to happen next week or if it was going to be left out or, you know, it was just, it was cool, man. It was like plain imagination as yeah. a 30 year old, you know, it was awesome. Anyway, sorry. Steven, sorry, if you could change, if, if they had called you, they showed you all the, all the rough cuts and they were like, all right, we're going to let you change one thing about this. Oh, wow. What, what would you change it? And you can make it as broad as you want. Um, 
because I mean, there's a lot of issues, and you know, we mentioned the fact that you know, you know, if you want to make it something like you know, I would have said add one more episode, or I would have said don't you know, cut to black and not show us the aftermath of Jon Snow murdering the queen. And all of a sudden he just ends up in handcuffs and there's a, oh, there's a, a meeting like yeah. show us that, <laughs> yeah. like whatever you want to say. But like to me, cause, cause it's funny because you know, when you see how this played out and you see the amount of time they gave it, it's almost like, were they dead in the water when they didn't have any source material? Were they dead in the water when they said, we're only going to do six episodes? Was there a way to do this in six episodes? Was there one element or one scene or one thing they did particularly wrong that really rubbed everyone the wrong way yourself included how how salvageable was this was there like one one way you could sum up how they could have salvaged this even more like a little bit i mean i think it's the stuff we've talked about you know like to, to me that scene where they're like they like vote on a king and it's like a five minute scene like it was just I, I like that to me was my least favorite scene like i i like you know i thought i hated Tyrion's story speech you know i thought it was so corny um and it was just like kind of like generic you know in a way that game of thrones typically isn't and it's like yeah i mean like we stories move us and it was like yeah we know that like we've seen it in commercials for levi's you know like it's like you you've it's like such a I mean, it's like a, a writerly point and that writers love to make about how great stories are, but it's not necessarily like a new point or an interesting point and certainly not one that I thought was worthy of the show. Um, you know, I mean, I guess my other one would be the, the other one from the perspective of the, uh, the, the, the same one that everyone says, right? Is like, I really thought that they reduced Daenerys's I mean, and I, I'm not the one who suggested – I would never suggest that they didn't um, set up that Daenerys would eventually kind of burn everyone and go mad. You know, I, I feel like that was very well set up, but they didn't like necessarily like deliver it in, in, a, in a great way. Um, and especially because they reduced it to a question of like, oh, she's just mad, you know, and it was it, like any sense of like her history or what she had done or her morality was just like wiped away and like, oh, she's she's a Targaryen. She's like, you know, maybe mad. Oh, let's flip a coin. And I guess the she's mad. And I specifically didn't like and obviously this was a real choice from the writers that they made her. Just decide to destroy the city after the city had really uh, after King's Landing had already completely submitted. You know, like they have like the the you know Drogon comes, he like blows up the castle. You know, John and Grey Worm's army, they like totally you know the the, the Lannister forces surrender. Um, the battle is really decisively won, and the bells ring, and it's only after that that Daenerys decides to burn things. And to me, like, so obviously, like they like set that up in like three or four different ways, where like clearly we're supposed to see this is not a tactical decision. You know, she's not making this from any tactical perspective. And I, like, if I were to change one thing, I would have made it like a tactical escalation. You know, like it's like the battle's going badly, she's freaking out, and like then she goes, you know, and, and starts burning things and. Um, you know, to me, that would have been more in line with her where, you know, yes, she's done all of these really vicious, cruel things throughout her history. But there's always been some kind of like, you know, rationale in the moment. And here there was just no rationale. And again, like maybe that was the writer's point. But to me, I would have liked, you know, I would have liked the escalation to feel like it was something that emerged from drama rather than, you know, now she's crazy. Yeah, there's also a way in which I think <clears throat> she didn't need to go from A to Z. Yeah, uh, where maybe she's going after because the other thing I thought was just a misstep was like so we, you know these characters you know, Cersei Lannister and and Jaime Lannister 
We've had, who have both had tremendous character arcs. Jamie in the ebbs and flows of like the first episode, you're thinking, oh man, I can't wait to see this guy get it. And by the end of the eighth season, you're like, oh, I hope this guy survives. Cersei Lannister, the opposite. You're kind of like salivating at who might be the one to finally put her to rest. Is it Arya? Yeah. Is it John? Is it whatever? And it turns out it's a, a pile of rocks. You know, <laughs> I think that there's a way you do it where it's, where it's Daenerys is going after her and she's trying to burn down the building she's in and she goes after her in the window, but then she just goes after the whole building. And yes, in the process, maybe kills a lot of innocence, you know, but it had more, right. it started with more of a purpose. The way they did it, it just seemed like, you know, you, you, people think that we're saying that there was never, that she never in earlier seasons, you know, uh, crucified a bunch of slave owners or, you know, burned, uh, <coughs> Dickon Tarly and all this stuff. Sure, she did all that stuff, but it was always rooted in a, a decision that you understood why she made it. This, yeah. and this was, it reminded me, the shots of her taking the dragon around and just burning everything aimlessly reminded me of when you're playing a video game with someone, like one that doesn't have boundaries, and they just decided to go, they decided to go haywire, they decide they don't really care about like the the point of the video game, and they just start burning right. everything, and you're and like, they just this like break fun. all your Legos, like you this just isn't like, fun yeah, anymore. You know? Awesome Lego set, and they just fucking throw it. You're just you're playing Grand Theft Auto, and they're all they're doing is just crashing cars or whatever. Like that's what it looked like. You're like you're watching this, and you're just like the aimlessness of her and her dragons seem like the aimlessness of whoever had the pen or the typewriter out crafting this whole thing. Even if you told me, hey, we're doing this in six episodes, and we're going on to make Star Wars. I think there's a way in which you could you could firm this thing up by doing the following. So as much as I know D didn't care for that second episode, I think consensus is is that that second episode had maybe the last great moment in Game of Thrones was that knighting scene. I think yeah. that the character building in that episode was the most it was the most in line with what we fell in love with in earlier seasons out of everything in the series. I do think you could trim it up and you could take half of that episode, the stuff we liked Tack it on to the half of the first episode that has the actual, you know, reworld building that we need. Make that one episode. So that saves you an episode there. Cut about 30 minutes out of that battle episode, episode three. We don't need that. Cut about 30 minutes out of the uh, battle what? episode. Uh, you could just nope. cut, you could trim it up a little bit, you know, like trim these <laughs> up and give me one more episode. And in this one episode, what I need to see is I need to see a full episode of Daenerys in charge. I cannot have her in charge for 10 minutes and then being murdered and that's the end of it. And then what you're doing by giving that a whole episode is now your six episode, Stephen, gives you everything you wanted, which is setting up that meeting at the end, telling me how, how these random people, this guy that we haven't seen since he was on his mother's teat and now he looks like he could play for Duke basketball. How did he get the call? You know, how did they call yeah. him? How did they get the random guy from Dorne? How did they decide that the guy from Outlander is coming and can give another speech? You know, tell us how these people came to be a part of this council <clears throat> for the love of God, show me what happens with Grey Worm and John after the fact with the Daenerys thing. Like, do they have a standoff? How does Grey Worm decide that he's not going to kill him right away? You know, how does Tyrion become a prisoner? How does he get spared up until this meeting? Show me this stuff. If you're still going to go through with the execution, show me this stuff. You know, and that speech of like, you know, you know, you cannot rhetorically say, who has a better story than Bran the Broken when the answer is literally everyone? And like, <laughs> literally everyone was sitting literally there. Literally yeah. everyone who's sitting in front of you has a better yeah. story. And the weird thing about it that I think I've asked this question both internally and I really want to know the answer to it is you hear that George R. R. Martin told them this stuff pretty early on, let them know where this was going. Um, it's almost shocking knowing what happens with the brand character and that he winds up on the throne that he was literally left out of an entire season that he was at like points down the stretch here 
turned almost into this like, you know, future seeing robot and saying things verbatim that like, I'm no longer Bran Stark or I don't want to be the, the, the king and all this stuff where you, you've convinced us. Okay. Like there's no yeah. chance this guy's going to be the king. And now he ends up being the king. It's almost as if they really had no idea going into it that this is where they were going to need to end because unlike Daenerys, where you could argue that seeds were planted and I agree <clears> that they were with Bran, I really think they weren't. And I watched an interview with Gwendolyn Christie who plays Brienne of Tarth. She did like an EW interview like two years ago and she flat out predicts that it's going to be Bran or whatever, which is something that if like she knew, she probably wouldn't do, you know? Right. And like Amelia Clark, you heard like I read in Entertainment Weekly, she's saying, you know, earlier on they were giving me notes that now they make sense. It's like, why were you trying to like, they, they care so much about spoilers and they cared so much about drones getting shots of their, uh, of their, um, their sets. And they actually shot like multiple people killing Danny just in case it got out who did it and stuff like that. Why are you so concerned with like, you know, pulling one over on your cast and crew and this and that, that they literally don't know how to play these characters and foreshadow yeah. them with what they need. Like you're caring about the wrong stuff. You're caring too much about the spectacle of it. You're caring too much of the surprise of it. You know, who cares if like the depths of Reddit know what's going to happen, have your cast know. So three seasons prior, they don't have to like, you know, play it as if they have no interest in the throne. So when they're on the throne, you're like, wait, what, what, why is he on the throne again? That makes no sense. He's literally the least beloved character out of all the major characters, brand. Like, I mean, go and look at like how many people like buy the toys of these characters. Like he, nobody has a brand tattoo. <laughs> well, that's what I loved about Westworld. You know, to your point about like who, you know, care less about spoilers than about, you know, creating like reasonable arcs, which was that like that show seeded itself with spoilers, you know, and like they made it so that if you were watching closely, you could figure out what's going to what was going to happen. But to those people who weren't watching closely, it was like a really satisfying surprise. And to, so if you were watching closely, you got the fun of figuring it out. And if you didn't, you know, weren't at that level, like, you know, of engagement, then you could you got the surprise of not knowing. And I feel like that. That's like, you know, especially Westworld season one, like to me is like a perfect season of a show Be like, because of like it works on those on those two levels. Um, the John thing where the, the entire mystery of the first six, seven seasons of Game of Thrones and particularly the books where it's like really at the forefront of the books is the mystery of whose John's parents are. The famous story is that when George R. R. Martin decided that D.B. Weiss and David Benioff were worthy of taking on his, his beloved property here was that he asked them who were his parents and they knew that it was Lyanna Stark and, uh, the Targaryen that he knew that it wasn't as simple as Ned and another woman or whatever. Uh, and that that was what won them the, the, uh, like the keys to this thing. It clearly was such a big part and it doesn't really matter here. You yeah. could you could argue that it was like part of the reason Daenerys went mad, but other than that, they literally are deciding who should be king and no one's like, I don't know, maybe the rightful heir to the throne. Like I just it's just it makes no sense that they would now put it back as a secret. He would go off and live in obscurity and they would care that much about the opinion of Grey Worm who's going off to live in Cabo or whatever. Like it just doesn't <laughs> make sense. And honestly, it's a slap in the face of all of those, you know, uh, you know, message boards and all the weird theories and this and that and all the people who discovered the mystery of the show and the great reveal at the end of season seven, I believe it was, or maybe it was six, of who, who his parents are, the fact that it really doesn't matter who his parents are. He might as well have been the kid of Ned Stark and, you know, the hooker who dies in season one. It really, you know, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily agree with Derek that like I had to see him on the throne, but like I do agree with you that like he's you know for that has to matter in some capacity. It has to affect the plot in some way. And like yes, like to your point, like maybe it was part of why she particularly she went mad in that. But it, you know, it, it wasn't like the decisive factor at all. You know, and it wasn't. It was, certainly wasn't. Uh, you know, you can see a storyline where that became the decisive factor, but that wasn't the story that was told. Yeah. Well, fine. But the reason why she freaked out is because she thought she was going to be queen. She was playing to be the queen. She took all over these cities, and the queen, the 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 throne was hers. And then John comes around, and he's telling people that he's uh, he's actually the king, not her. Like, but he wasn't though. He actually, he himself had no interest. It was the fact that rumors got out there to people who, you know, either uh, did Bran. Bran didn't have interest either, but he's the king. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I, I just think that it's a waste <laughs> so, of, it's a waste of a, a well-crafted mystery. It's, it's, it's a waste of it. It's, it's, <laughs> I, get, I get what you're saying, but it's, he, he is, that storyline is the reason why she went nuts. Right. Period. So Point that, blank. so that you think Burned that that is. City, because of him, he was supposed to be the king. He's the rightful owner of the seven kingdoms, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, and uh, and that's why. See, All that's right. interesting. Like, that, sorry, I don't mean to like belabor this, but like, I feel like that's really interesting that that was your takeaway because like that's what I wanted my takeaway to be, and like maybe I wanted it so badly that I, I didn't. It didn't resonate for me, but like, I, like that's like I feel like that is what they wanted the story to be. Why she was pow- she was power hungry. She wanted to be the queen, even though he didn't want it. Yeah, she saw. She saw how people, how beloved he was to all of these people. It didn't matter. He, he led the wars. He led the war uh, against the dead for crying out loud. Then he led the war to take over King's Landing. Yeah. Okay. He is the man. People respected him. You know but why then? Uh, I'm with you, and 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 Daenerys does have reason. Once she realizes who knows about this, Sansa, Tyrion, etc., to be paranoid the, about the it. The reason why he doesn't want to bang her anymore is because he found out that's her his aunt. Right. It's right, right, all right. about that. Right. But yeah. here's my thing: is once she's ousted, you know, how come it's not? Who has a better story than Bran the Broken? Okay, Grey Worm, we swear it's going to be Bran. Okay, see you later, Grey Worm. Take off on your boat. Okay, now we know who the king should oh, be. Oh, yeah, be that's John, a drove right? me crazy. Like, why are you committed to what you promised, like, this random guy from a foreign country, you know, like, against, like, the person who's, like, the rightful king? That drove me crazy. Why do they no longer care? Like, they cared so much. And that's the problem also with the the, you know – the finite amount of time we had for these six episodes is that I'm literally saying, but 10 minutes ago was the most important thing in the world to you. Sansa that he was the rightful heir to the throne. And now 10 minutes later, you don't care. So, so it's like, it's not like it was in episode one. You didn't, you cared. And now in episode nine, you don't care. It was literally 10 minutes before that you didn't care uh, is the problem. But so uh, the, the, no matter how you cut it, like no matter how you cut it, the, the, the problem was the time, right? Everything was rushed. We've known this show to be so detail-oriented in so many different storylines in so many different ways that, you know, like even if we stopped it at um, she does – they win the battle. They – you know, she she doesn't end up burning out – burning down the city. Like there are so many storylines to fulfill there. There's so many things to talk about. Like the war had just ended. Like we have to take over. What happens to Cersei? What had Jamie get to Cersei? They didn't die. You know what I mean? Like they got to get locked up somehow. John is still the rightful king, but she's got the dragon. Like there's, there's, 
There's so much. We could have went just an entire season, 10 episodes. They stopped at six episodes. Yeah. Like it was, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but my question to you guys is, and, and sorry, if we got to go, we got to go. Um, but what would be your happy ending? How would this have ended for you? Because it's not done. You know, brand the brand the broken the king. Come on, but yeah, I get it. All right, but I mean, what's that's not the happy ending. What's your happy ending? How would how was this show supposed to end for you guys? At least this episode. Well, my happy ending, which is a weird way to begin a sentence, is like a really sad ending. You know, like I really expected like basically everyone to die, you know, except like a few people. I expected it to be really tragic in the like with this point that's like kind of been like throughout the show of like, you know, there's no winners in war. War is terrible. Like, you know, which just seemed to be like the recurring theme. Like, you you know, we started with Ned Stark and like he's the hero. Oh, the hero got his head cut off. Then you've got like Rob Stark. He's the hero. Oh, this he, he died, too. And like for me, like so I wanted it to be like the the ultimate you know depiction of that of just like this like everything is destroyed everyone is dead and you're left with like a few people who are like picking up the pieces but like there aren't really that many pieces left you know i, I mean like i imagine like Tyrion is left and sansa is left and maybe Arya. i even thought Arya might die because um uh, a friend of mine who also podcasts about the show josh wiggler who you know probably knows as much about game of thrones as anybody he was predicting Arya would die because she was the person who nobody wanted to die because we were all so invested mm-hmm. in her living. You know, we all cared about her so much that they never kill, kill her. Night King. So she's yeah, on that exactly. big high, you know? Yeah. So for her to die in the next episode, like would have been such an emotional moment. And that's actually, I mean, like I know it's dark, but like, that's what I wanted. I wanted like a total, total wipeout. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's funny. We talk about the many things that went bye bye when they had, when they no longer had George R. R. Martin's source material. I talk about this all the time with Game of Thrones that the reason it became, I mean, I, as much as I have shows that now, especially seeing how this didn't stick the landing, I still put The Wire, Sopranos, probably Breaking Bad above Game of Thrones, but I've never been more into talking about and theorizing a show as Game of Thrones. I've never been more invested in a show than Game of Thrones yeah. in the moment, at least. And so even though they didn't stick the landing and you look at them as, as complete things and you can put other stuff ahead of them or this and that. And what's interesting is Josh Wiggler, you mentioned, I heard him say that he wouldn't even put Game of Thrones in his top 15 shows ever. And I'm just like, okay, I can understand you can get to five, but 15, I'm like, what are you putting picket fences above Game of Thrones? I don't even know how you get there. But the the thing about George R. R. Martin and the the brilliance of turning this show into a series is that, you know, you talk about him him wanting to write a, a book series that was almost unadaptable. Part of that is the the if, if somebody wrote The Sopranos and wrote uh, season one of The Sopranos and in episode nine you killed Tony Soprano, uh, HBO would say, no, go fuck yourself. If you wrote, you know, any show like that, Walter White, etc., tried to kill him off and say, no, 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 but in season two, uh, Aaron Paul is going to take over. It's going to be great. They'd be like, no, you're not doing that. Rewrite it, etc. The reason they said yes to this is because he had five books to back it up to say, oh no, yeah. I make you think Ned Stark's the lead, but then I kill him in episode nine because then I tell you Rob's the lead. Then I kill him in episode nine of season three. I make you think Joffrey's the bad guy. I kill him in episode three of season four. I introduce this new character, the Viper. You think, wow, this guy's going to be the shit. He's gone four episodes in. And I do all this because I've created so many great ancillary characters and so many great additional characters and such a vast scope of a world that you forget all that and you fall in love with that and you fall in love with the unpredictability of the fact that 
you're watching 24 where Jack Bauer actually dies. And so that's what we've all fell in love with. Once you got rid of George R. R. Martin's, who's the last major character to die on Game of Thrones? Okay. Really, it hasn't happened in a while. You have the Sept of Baylor scene where you lose Marjorie and you use, and you lose, um, the, uh, the, what's his name? High John Sparrow. Pro- High Sparrow. Everybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we call it, but they're all kind of ancillaries, right? For the most part though, down the stretch here, who did we lose that in the back of our mind we didn't expect to lose? We kind of expected we were going to lose Cersei and Jamie. We kind of expected we were going to lose Daenerys and then the rest were kind of fringe characters. You know, your little fingers and your, and your Varuses and Varus, your Missandei, yeah. right? For the most part, we didn't end with what you would say is fitting for Game of Thrones, which is that kind of gut-wrenching, visceral, oh my god, I can't believe they killed blank. And so yeah. to me, maybe, you know, I wondered, was it going to be Arya too? When you see how it played out, it's like, wow, not only was it not Arya, it wasn't anybody. Um, you know, you kill a Jorah, you kill a, an Ed, you kill a, a Barristan or whatever. It's like, you know, you really don't lose anybody you expect. Uh, what I would have said, I'm not saying this is saving it, but it does insert that little, oh man, this still has that Game of Thrones, they'll kill anybody, is that let's pretend there's not going to be a spinoff, you know, pretend this really is the end of it. And, and there's no reason to keep any of these people around for future properties, whatever. Why not have as another thing to add to her? Oh, she's got to go. You have Tyrion go up to her. He throws the pin on the ground. And this is in my fantasy world where this entire thing is getting a whole episode. This isn't just getting 10 minutes in the, in the finale. This is a, this is the full episode of Daenerys's tyrancy, right? I, why doesn't she execute Tyrion? And we lose Tyrion and, and this beloved character who's been our, our voice throughout and this and that, because how much of the finale could have played out without Tyrion? You know, the fact that he's not even written into that stupid song in Ice and Fire book is like proof that like, you know, you can move on without Tyrion. And that would have been that gut wrenching. Oh, my God, we lost another one. You know, so you mentioned your happy ending is a sadder one. Yeah, I could have used one of those kind of gut-wrenching losses too down the stretch. My pick would have been Tyrion because I think when you when it comes down to it, he's the one who you can find ways in which he deserved it. You can find ways in which, you know, he kind of, you know, made choices down the stretch where he especially with that pin move, he's sort of kind of sacrificing himself to prove a point. Maybe that's the thing, that's the nail in the coffin, that's the inciting incident to get John to finally kill her, who knows. But I'm with you, Stephen. I think I wanted more I almost wanted more tragedy down the stretch here and not just tragedy with with, you know, extras and Aaron Rodgers, I wanted a major character that we didn't expect to die to die down the stretch because that is why, to sum it up, why I love Game of Thrones is that you got me attached to people and then you killed them. Well, uh, you two are two sick fucks, to say the <laughs> least. And I am one of those that uh, will not conform to your terrible societal behaviors and wants. <laughs> To happen in this show, I would, I don't want that. I think that, you know, with the characters that they actually had left, you know, if you left these characters, um, the way it was and had Daenerys, you know, not burn the city down and you left that extra like 20 minutes to be like, all right, let's find a crafty way for us to kill Cersei, like some sick, sadistic way to kill Cersei. And you find Jamie with her. So you get like, um, you know, her and Jamie together, and you have them captive. You can find a creative way to kill them somehow, whatever, whoever may be Arya, whoever, whatever. Um, but then, but at the end, you kind of still have like Rob. I'm sorry, Rob. Yeah, I didn't like that Rob and Ned all got killed and all that shit like you guys did. Um, but, uh, at the end, you have Jon Snow, 
and Daenerys on the throne with the damn dragon trying to figure out how they're going to deal with their incestful relationship looking at over looking over on how they're going to kill off another incestful relationship that needs to die right um and then you and then at the end like uh okay I'm all jokes aside you know they figure out how to you know deal with their love or not love or whatever but it's with those two on the throne with the dragon you know figuring out how everything else is going to be you know taken care of because there's still going to be problems at some point you know but if it ends it ends with those two up there with the dragon um and and, and that's it you know and then they figure out a way to kill cersei or whatever um, you're still gonna have collateral damage. You could have still had like, you know, the kids. Who are getting... you? Who are you okay with? Kill? Come on, you got to pick one major character that you're okay with, or that you would prefer be no longer with us. Who is it? Dude? They can. I don't care. They can all be dead except for John's John and, and Daenerys <laughs> and the dragon. John Daenerys and the dragon all live. You know, it, it, that that's it. I, everyone else, I don't really give a shit about. Oh, Arya, Sansa, I, I want to save. Um, Bran could have died. Uh, <laughs> You know, like Tyrion could have died. Um, I would have loved to have seen uh, what's his name? What's my boy's name? Uh, that was supposed to kill Jamie Braun. Braun. Braun could have killed somebody in a in a really funny way. Don't get me started uh, on him. He would be your favorite character. Bran li- Braun lives. Yeah, Braun lives. Um, the fight still happens between the mountain and his brother because that was awesome that was like the elimination you know of the, of this of the year you know what yes I mean? that was awesome <laughs> the uh, game bowl I, I yeah so anyway um but yeah that's that that's that's how my magic kind of ends all right so steven wants Arya dead i want Tyrion dead you want everyone dead except john the dragon uh daenerys and the stark this, girls correct yeah and yep. Braun. Okay, cool. And um, Braun, yeah. Steven, thank you for joining us on this almost three-hour <laughs> podcast. Uh, dude, we'd love to have you back uh, anytime to talk some Survivor, talk some Challenge. We have a, a whole bonus podcast series over at the Patreon where it's less egregious when we have repeat guests uh, very frequently. So we'd love to have you on there uh, maybe when uh, they announce the uh, the cast for the next Survivor or whenever uh, they announce the cast for the next Challenge or something like that. Or uh, maybe the next show captivates us to the level of Game of Thrones, which I'm going to – spoiler alert – will probably never happen again. <laughs> uh, particularly because we'll all have our guard up. But Stephen, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really Guys, appreciate it. This was such an honor. I'm like, I'm truly, I've been geeking out this whole time. It's been so fun for me to talk about the challenge. Like all I ever wanted was to talk about the challenge. So it, just to, to be able to, you know, and relate it back to Survivor as well. Another, obviously, a show that I'm very passionate about. Um, and then, you know, to, to work in Game of Thrones too. This has been so cool. Um, and you know, and like I said at the real at the at the top, like I've I respect so much what you guys have done. Um, you know, and, and it's it's really an honor for me to be here. Steven, thank you, thank you so much, man. It was it was cool finally. It was cool seeing like three of these you know awesome shows coming to an end and us kind of being able to wrap it all up together. And uh, so that that was cool. Yeah, all the best to you, man. Stay in touch and. Um, and yeah, hopefully you don't leave this podcast being like, yeah, they kept me for three hours. And <laughs> no, super assholes. fun. Like, <laughs> I, could, I honestly, like, I could go all night. Like for me, it's like, this is like, this is like, how, how, how much cooler could it be, you know, than like talking about TV with you guys. So like, this has been real, really a thrill.
right, guys, this ends your time here on Challenge Mania. Take care of yourselves, and hopefully we'll see you in the future. We know that you enjoy listening to Challenge Mania in your earbuds, in your headphones, on your speakers every week here at ChallengeManiaPodcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But there is nothing like seeing Challenge Mania live. And we are back on the road on Saturday, June the 8th in Denver, Colorado. That's right. Sunny Denver, Colorado. Not a better time of year to visit the Mile High City. We will be at the Denver Improv for a 1 p.m meet and greet and a 3 p.m live show so far we've announced two guests we have more announcements to come but so far we have announced real world austin's nehemiah clark and real world sydney's kellyanne judd you guys wanted old schoolers we got you old schoolers and there are more to come ladies and gentlemen if you've never been to a challenge mania live here's what we do if you come at 1 p.m we have a pre-show meet and greet you can meet everybody get your pictures taken get your limited edition craig marrier poster signed by everybody there will be pins there will be stickers a 90 minute meet and greet with the cast it is you it is them it is intimate we limit these tickets they are almost gone then at 3 p.m we go live on stage at the denver improv comedy style we have a live in your face challenge mania style panel on stage that we end with a 45 minute q a you can be part of the show maniacs it is a -a one-of-a-kind experience it does not go online afterwards if you want to hear the topics if you want to be a part of the discussion you have to be in the building on saturday june the 8th at the denver improv with myself with DKO, with Kellyanne Judd, with Nehemiah Clark, and who knows who else will join us for the first Challenge Mania Live of the summer, of the season. Get on challengemania.live and get your tickets today. That's right, challengemania.live. Come and party with us in Denver, Colorado, Saturday, June the 8th.